Good afternoon, film fans. We're here today to talk about the one and only Quentin Tarantino. What if you're listening to this in the morning or evening? I know. We should say good day. Just say hi. Hi. We're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino for a long time coming up next. Then, The Farewell at 1 hour and 13 minutes. Marianne and Leonard, Words of Love at 1 hour and 24 minutes. DVDs including Battle Angel and Missing Link at an hour and a half. And then Paint Your Wagon at the Muni at 1 hour and 38 minutes. And then what's coming up next week? That's Lynn Van House. Hi. Lynn Van House here with Carl Middleman. And Jim Tudor. Hi, Jim. Hey. We're glad to have you back. Oh, I'm fan fantastically thrilled to be here now are you a qt fan yeah yeah i am do you consider him having nine and a half films or ten and a half films uh whatever he says (laughs) he he counts yeah he counts kill bill as one he does yeah yeah even though they are two different halves one is one she kills a lot of people the other half she only kills bill there's the killing part, which is part one, and the talking part, which is part two. And the backstory. Yeah. Okay. Let, all right, so that, that, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about, well, what else we're going to do today. All right, well, we've got a few DVD releases and a few movie news. We don't have too much local news, but we'll talk no. about it. So that's our, that's our setup today, but we're going to do a deep dive into the Tarantino film. The ellipses are important, but are they? As, as my editor and many editors across the country, nobody's putting them in the title. <laughs> well, also, it has changed several times. Well, twice. Yeah. First, it was Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. And then the original posters in Cannes, when they had it, was Once Upon a Time in dot, 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 Hollywood. Oh. But in the film, it is Once Upon a Time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. Right. Which doesn't show up to the end. (laughs) And then it's referred to by most everyone else in the world as just Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with no dots. None. Um, Which, yeah. Does it matter? I'm I'm happy with that. It it fits in more nicely next to all the other Once Upon a Time in movies. In the the West. Which is the reason it's because of Sir J. Leone, the spaghetti Western auteur. And yes, he does have a shot of feet in this one. Yes. Several. Yes. Several. And he has a black and white outfit and he has quite a few, the Tarantino. But the thing about Tarantino... And I know most guys, I mean, when we have a Tarantino screening, everybody shows up. Everyone showed up. They had two different theaters, one for just <laughs> critics and one for the Vox Populi. Right. And mm. one, uh, the, the, a lot of the critics, like, you never see them unless it's a, <laughs> it's a big event yeah. movie like Tarantino or James Bond. Or, but there are a lot of media people there besides just the critics. critics. Yeah, working press. Let's right. put it like that. Yeah, there's people that are just going to mention it on their radio shows. I saw it. So they can see that they were cool. Yeah. So Tarantino, ever since, well, his first movie is Reservoir Dogs at Sundance. That was the big bang. But, but he pulp- wrote Tony True. Scott's True Romance. Right, with Brad Pitt. Which is very Tarantino. Right. And he also, once he did Pulp Fiction in 94, he did episodes of ER. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he was the... <laughs> poster boy for you can work at a video store and make a movie letterman loved him until he had him on and then from then on he was a tarantino was a leno guy letterman was championing pulp fiction had everybody on from the movie and then yep. finally he had quentin tarantino on 
and then like that was the last time that Quentin was on with Dave. I guess he didn't like New York or he didn't like Dave, but from then on he was a Leno guy, which I didn't understand because Dave helped Pulp Fiction so much in right. 1994. Well, yeah. I would imagine that might have more to do with Dave because <laughs> uh, he can be ruffled by certain people, and I would imagine somebody like Quentin Tarantino – um, would probably very easily rub Dave, David Letterman the wrong way, you know, or just, or a, or an L.A. New York kind of thing. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Quentin didn't want to go to New York. He has. Uh, I remember one of his Tonight Show appearances. He was drunk, and he was like <laughs> sitting there just just basking and loving the fact that I'm drunk on the Tonight Show. It's and, just like in the 1960s. But see, Leno would appreciate something like that. Dave mm. would be pissed at that. It, Don't yes. show up drunk. Right. 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 Well, when he was champion Pulp Fiction, my son Tim was uh, 10 years old. And you took him, of course. Well, no. I have a really (laughs) funny story about that, which I'll shorten. But um, it it must have been – it was Christmas vacation. I mean, it was some sort of vacation because he was up. Uh And he saw Quentin Tarantino. And so – for my 40th birthday, I hadn't seen Pulp Fiction yet. And I found it – Reservoir Dogs? I don't think I saw Reservoir Dogs You know, Dogs you know what? Most after. people did not see Reservoir until Dogs after. until after. Right, till after Pulp The Fiction. only thing they knew about Reservoir Dogs was the Madonna reference, because that's in the soundtrack. Well, so, you know, everybody by then, because it came out in October, so by the time I saw it, it was just secondhand. It was at the Keller 8. <laughs> so I was living in Breeze all day. So uh, the boys... You crossed went, the bridge. Yeah, I crossed the bridge. The boys went in to see Dumb and Dumber. And I went in to see Pulp Fiction. Well, Dumb and Dumber ended first. Of course so, it did. My children, being 10 and 7, came in to sit next we'll to mom. We'll go find mom. We'll, we'll come sit next to mom at the movies because that's what they used to do. Because I used to <laughs> review. I reviewed movies at the News Democrat for the Sunday magazine at the News Democrat. So I would go in to see whatever I was reviewing, and they would go in to see their little kitty show and then come back. Well, they came during in at Pulp the Fiction, I wasn't reviewing at that time and uh so they came in right when john travolta's head gets blown off hey spoiler spoiler alert for a 25 year old movie (laughs) so i was mortified because i'm sitting there and bruce willis just shoots him with a (laughs) (laughs) and everybody while he's on the toilet yeah everybody's (laughs) going to think i'm like the world's worst mother and so well at least it wasn't in chronological (laughs) order because he was in the next act right so then uh tim's listening to the dialogue because well, so wait a minute this... right when he then the gimp happens right after that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good you mom know, uh, mother of the year i had never seen this movie before so i didn't know what was it coming. was rated r and you let your 10 and 7 well, year olds they, come and meet you they came in. well you know. Yeah. What know. are they going to do? The so word was out. <laughs> Even before it opened theatrically well, in St. Louis, the word was out. Okay. Well, especially the fact that it was in second-run you know. theaters. You knew what was going on. That, that well, wasn't a second-run theater back then. But oh, Keller? Not, not back then, no. Okay. It was just, just a Werenberg? Yes, know. but it was still... Uh, Everyone we, knew. We, yeah. Well, you guys knew, but I really wasn't, you know, I just was not that in... But we had seen Quentin Tarantino on a talk show, mm-hmm. which was probably Dave because I watched Dave all the time. Mm. And Tim turns to me, the little 10-year-old brain that was such a movie nut, and says to me, 
His uh, his characters talk like how Quentin Tarantino talks. My mind was blown. Boom. And he wrote that essay and got into Columbia College for because of that. Because of explaining this. When he was 10. Well, and <laughs> when he was 10. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, so. and then you had Jackie Brown, which some people say is better than Pulp Fiction. I know. I, I got to watch it again if I'm going to say that. Me too. I'm not one of those people. Um, I'm a Pulp Fiction guy. I yeah. saw Pulp Fiction, I think, in the theater on its original run five times. Wow. And one of those times was at the Keller 8. Nice. So maybe, Lynn, we were in the same auditorium. Are, and Jim was going, December. why are those children yeah, who, here? What those, who, why? Why, why are there kids here? December 23rd, 1994. Okay, and so was Grind, oh, then they then he did From Dust to Dawn, where he acted and wrote that one, too. Right. With That's Robert Rodriguez. Roderick, but That's, he didn't, and then they teamed up on Grindhouse. Right. Well, four rooms, didn't they? Yeah, for he did have a uh, with Alison Anders. Yeah. Yes, Alison Anders. Uh, who's the th- the third room in that? I don't even know. Um, and then uh, and then you I'm got your Tarantino up. finale. And uh, wow, I would have forgotten that today had you not brought it up because <laughs> it is just that forgettable. Well, he it was is. just like anybody who is uh, you know becomes this overnight sensation, and he gave John Travolta. Oh, nineteen ninety five. So it's right yeah. after yeah. that. You know? Yeah. And just he was pretty feeling his oats. He was you right. know pretty full of himself, and he really Alexander kinda, Rockwell. Oh, that's it. He who? No. Yeah. Yeah. He got, yeah. Yeah. Because I just read that. It was but exactly he, one year after that. It was December of ninety five, right. and Madonna was in it, and Tim mm-hmm. Roth. Tim Roth, yes. Well, you know, he got a little full of himself. Let's put it like that. But well, you know, when you're the darling, well, I, so Dust Till Dawn was after that, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. we have then he teamed up with Rodriguez for Grindhouse, so Death Proof, and then was it Kill Bill? One I thought two? Kill Bill was before Death Proof because Kill Bill was two thousand three, two thousand four. It then, was two thousand three. Yeah, because my wife was pregnant for Volume One. Mm. And then we had to get a babysitter so we could go see Volume Two. Hey. I was ju- I was judging the Colleen, the Illinois College Press Association, the review reviews, and everybody did Kill Bill. <laughs> so I remember that every single kid wrote about Kill Bill. Wow, <laughs> really? Well, to, well, submitted part one their, or two. Well, both of them. Both of submitted, them submitted. Um, submitted those. When I I uh, taught high school for a year, um, and every kid loved Tarantino, and these were junior and seniors in high school, and. Uh, what was the movie he had then? Uh, Django, I guess, was his latest. Okay, so after at your, you guys are right. Yeah, Death Proof is after Bill. Right. Then Inglorious Bastards, then Django, then Hateful Eight. Right. Inglorious Bastards is actually my favorite. Really? Mm-hmm. Because of Christoph Waltz, of course. Well, the acting in it is brilliant, but I the but first that half. was his first. Revisionist, Revisionist history. history, and he reminded us that movies are movies. <laughs> but it's I not just real. like, I just like the way he put it together. And uh, I think uh, um, we're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But um, I think he has a tendency to go off the rails a little bit. And and his editor died after his longtime editor died after. Was it Inglorious Bastards where she died? That's because his uh, I was trying to remember this t- uh, yesterday, actually, when I was scrambling to get my review posted, and I, I uh, ended up not mentioning it, but I don't remember. I, didn't I think check. it was either 
she died before or right after Inglorious Bastards because he's he had this editor forever. Yes, yeah, Sally Menke. And she made his movies tighter. Yes. And since she has passed, they are not tight anymore. I would yeah. guess that she did not get to work at least fully on Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. He has uh, he has a tendency to go uh, off the rails of free association scenes that I mean some of them we love but you know he and does have a tendency to go off the rails and I think I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is perhaps one of his most complete films and his most disciplined film also long though but I, and sometimes the editing works like I think Django is fine and sure. I think Hateful Eight could have used a lot of editing and I also think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood needs editing and I I have figured out where it needs to be edited. But let's. Would yeah, you like to begin with your opening statement now that we've listed the nine or ten films that he has done? Because he he counts Death Proof as a film, mm-hmm. and if he's only going to do ten films, that's really. I know it, it's only a half a film. Well, what's it's the, not. It's, it's the it's planet. A, what's the planet one with de- planet death planet. No, that's the Rodriguez. Right, that's the Rodriguez that is paired with. So, no, Death Proof is not half a film. That Grindhouse was intended as a double feature. So you are getting two two movies. Two B movies. Two movies, yes. Uh, Right. So Planet Terror was the name of that. Right, that's That's the Robert Rodriguez part. Yeah, and then you go into Death Proof. So everybody is, you know, who's seen the entirety of Grindhouse is either a – Planet Terror person or a or a, 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 a death proof person. I mean, yeah, death, death proof is still 113 minutes, mm-hmm. and you know they don't sell them together. Well, I think Carl, what happened was when it was in its theatrical release, it was only 90 minutes, and then they oh. added uh, like 30 minutes into the Blu-ray DVD okay. release. The DVD release, I should say, because right. it predated right. that. So yeah, that's what happened. I, Planet I Terror is 105 minutes. So. Right. All right, so when a Tarantino movie is released, it the world is an goes event. crazy. It is an yes. event. Everybody shows up. Everybody shows up, and it's heavily weighted. And this was uh, the trailer to this, I believe, is misleading. But it was uh, once it got the seven minute ovation at Cannes, and everybody was comparing it to Pulp Fiction, it really ramped up. What I like about this is. You brought it up in your review, too. It's totally immersive. But it uh, is really about the changing of the guard in the broader context. When the 60s died. In all life. And Joan Didion, the author, said on August 9th, 1969, that's when the 60s died. And there's a lot to that. And I was 14 in 1969. And I remember all of this so vividly. But he has so... There's nothing like a Tarantino movie, and this one does not reference any of his other Tarantino movies. But it has a lot of his regulars. Well, it has his trademarks. Well, you know. What do you mean by it doesn't reference any of his other Tarantino movies? Because I think, in a way, it references all of them. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair Because, you know, Pulp Fiction's out of time. It can take... It could be taking place now. It could have been taking place then. They don't really say when Pulp Fiction is. Because it's supposed to be, it's supposed to have the look of the 50s, but it could have been taken place in 1994. Correct. It's out of time. It's his first film about movie making. Yeah. And I uh, Like Fellini. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought it was this wonderful love letter to L.A. Yeah. L.A. 
and love letter to old Hollywood, old school Hollywood network episode TV, episodic network television. Yes. Mm-hmm. That he grew and, up. And the uh, the um, changing of the guard, and and you put it so eloquently in your video, Jim, about the grizzled macho guys were being replaced by sensitive the, the hippies. more the well the more anti-hero because look at dustin hoffman yeah. and al pacino came mm-hmm. on and this basically yeah. the, the coppola's <laughs> and the lucas's and the spielberg's right started to come up and because they were all in that they all went to school together right yeah. and and they're all they all grew up in that era and if you think about it brad pitt and leo could be the redford and newman of their the way that this film is it's a buddy movie and you could see paul newman playing uh, leo mm-hmm. and you could see robert redford playing brad uh, brad, brad playing you know that now, character. Sure, sure all right off okay. on, off on a side yes. note on this are they going to do what they did for Django, and they where they made Christoph Waltz supporting actor, which he was the lead in that yes. movie. <laughs> or, and they're going to make Brad Pitt supporting actor in this movie come December. January. When it's really his movie. <laughs> yeah, I suspect that's what would happen, just the way things tend to go. I don't say I, I agree with it. Um, and just like with Christoph Waltz, and that won Christoph Waltz another Academy Award. Yes, it did. But he was the lead in Django Unchained. Yeah. Not the title, but the lead. Right. Uh, yeah. In a sense, that's very true. And and here we've it's basically have a co-lead situation, although when you look at the poster, Leo's taller. Right. Um, and his name's first. His name's first, yeah. It's his first movie since The Revenant. Really? Yeah. yeah. I was. Yeah. I thought that was the case. I, I didn't check, but I was like, boy, it has been a while. He's so— Wait, what about Gatsby? That the, was that was before that, that was, was thirteen. Before. Yeah, that, that was, was thirteen. Like, that was, yeah, wow. and then uh, Revenant's fifteen. Wow. Yeah, yeah. they all that all ties. It's okay. all so, a blur. So I like that Leo and Brad let themselves be grizzled here. Let themselves be weathered, um, scarred. I, yeah, I got another <laughs> Leo story, but this is a good one. This is a good okay. one. Okay. So, so uh, what was your first Leo story? Oh, I guess this is the only one okay. I have. Okay. Oh. So, uh, well, another Tim story. Another Tim oh, story. Oh, it's about That's your son. A, a Tim. Okay. okay. So, Tim was doing an internship on Sesame Street and yes. living with my other son in Brooklyn. Wonderful pictures. And um, with Abby Cadabby. <laughs> yes. And uh, it was getting near the end of the internship, and he needed cash. He needed money. So, this other guy on Sesame Street worked for a catering company. So, we got Tim on the catering company. First gig. The Wolf of Wall Street premiere party. Ooh. <laughs> With Margot Robbie. Yeah. So. And Leo. Tim is, there's a VIP section and Tim's picking up the glasses and everything. And he spies Martin Scorsese talking to Leonardo DiCaprio. So, of course, he has to gaze in on them. And he said that Leo was taller than he thought in Tanner and had this beautiful skin. And he said he stood there. He said he kind of glowed. And he stood up and he just looked at him and he goes, you are are one beautiful man. <laughs> and Leo said, thank you. Get, get rid of these glasses, please. Yeah. He wasn't close enough to say that, but he said, I thought to myself, oh. you are one beautiful man. Mm-hmm. And then it was so crowded in the VIP section that he touched bellies with Rob Reiner. Probably not that hard to do. <laughs> no. So that's the only thing. It was but, a meathead. But he actually saw that, you know, like Leo was like had a glow about him. And, yeah. over, over in a corner with Marty. <laughs> And Martin is really short. 
So yeah, but we, we knew that. Yeah, we knew that. But I mean, just saying, compared to Leo being you know taller. But I think in this one, uh, this is the first time Leo and Brad have worked together, and it is a very dynamic. Is it really? I think so. Yeah, it's the first. Mm-hmm. Well, Leo doesn't do that many movies. No, and also um, and Brad does a lot of them. Does he? Yeah. Well, at, not anymore. Not anymore. He more now is he's producing. producing. Right. Yeah. He, he won an Oscar for uh, Twelve Years a Slave. He did. Yes. And had a small part in the movie. Is it working title or Plan B? I think it's Plan B. Plan B. Plan B. Plan B. He's the one that did Beautiful B. Boy. B for Brad. His mm-hmm. his production team. When we were at that screening for Beautiful Boy, they didn't even know he was from Springfield, Missouri. That's okay. Mm. All right, Jim, do you have an an opening statement, too, about Tarantino or anything about the film? Or should we just get into it? Well, okay, fine. Um, I was in film school studying to be, uh, you know... What uh, you do. Making movies. Uh, Yeah, I was doing that back uh, in the early to mid-'90s when Pulp Fiction dropped. It was seismic. It was... It was nothing... There was nothing like it to uh, those of us that were students. All of a sudden, this indie scene just... It was already there, but it it erupted. And we all of a sudden were faced with this notion that, wow, we really can just grab a camera and do whatever. You know, uh, Tarantino broke a lot of rules with Pulp Fiction, um, narratively, uh, conventionally, and kind of in the weeds filmmaking Resurrecting wise. John Travolta. Uh, well, that's a... Literally and figuratively. Yeah, but, you know, I'm just saying he did a lot of things like, um, you know, crossing the 180 degree line and things that they tell that they pound into our head as uh, filmmakers. You do not do that. What does that mean? um, Look it up. (laughs) It's uh, it's pretty dry stuff, honestly, but it's um, it has to do with camera placement uh, in regard to the actors and not disorienting the audience by all of a sudden uh, crossing over the. Oh, where the camera was. Where the camera is and which, you know, where the actors are and that kind of thing. I understand that. So, okay. Anyway, just, yeah. Um, So Tarantino would do that, but motivated. Um, And others had done that before then, but he had a certain finesse about it. Um, Anyway, he he made this kind of retro cool thing happen and other filmmakers kind of swooped in. There was a lot of Pulp Fiction ripoffs that came along and they just got it wrong. Every one of them got it wrong. The one that probably came the closest was Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight uh, because it had the vibe of it. Which also came around at the same time as Jackie Brown. It was was so bizarre. The Michael Keaton connection. pollination. Right. But yeah, anyway, Soderbergh beat Tarantino to the indie punch with Sex, Lies, and Videotape several years earlier. But uh, you know, I don't think he was trying to ride on Tarantino's coattails or anything. He just knew the best way to make out of sight. Um, anyhow. But hold on. Let me stop you for a second. Yeah. Being a fl- film student, were you aware of Reservoir Dogs and this guy who was coming around? Uh, yes. I was aware of uh, Reservoir Dogs because I had a film teacher, um, uh, film history uh, professor Roy Zurich, who came into class one day and said, there is a film playing at the Tivoli right now that you guys must not miss. It is called Reservoir Dogs, and it is very dark, <laughs> but I can't tell you any more about it because it would spoil it. True. But it is a bold new thing that I just haven't seen anything like this in quite some time. 75% takes place in one room. I know. Well, that's, you know, by design. That's, right. that's a good 
um, first filmmaker 101 uh, consolidate those locations um yeah so anyhow it's um yeah reservoir dogs was were you um, were you turned on to him by then or did you just no, like i didn't go i didn't go <gasps> Um, I was a little scared away. I was, a, you know, a, still a little unsure about all of this. Um, seeing Pulp Fiction when it finally dropped is kind of what broadened my horizons several, you know, a couple of years later when it came out. Um, and I became very enamored by that film like everybody did. You know, I just, just went over and over again. And one of those times I, I went with my brother um, not to see Pulp Fiction at the Keller 8, but to see Dumb and Dumber. And I sat there and we watched, <laughs> we watched Dumb and Dumber and it, it ended and we came out and we're both standing there looking at each other going, you know, we were really hoping for something a little, little funnier, a little better than Dumb and Dumber was. We didn't love it then. I know Dumb and Dumber is a comedy classic. A from comedy the classic now, but at but the at time, first it was I, came really out, I, I came out and said, yeah, that just didn't do it for me. And my brother's like, let's go see a better movie. Let's see Pulp Fiction for the fourth time. <laughs> so we did. We walked right back in there. And they were probably and wait a minute. Are you saying right now, 25 years later, you didn't pay for the movie? We did. We were standing outside the box office by our cars. Oh, so, yeah. So no, he could we, have saved $8. Uh, that didn't occur to me, honestly. It was... You know, 1994 prices also. Right. But yeah, no, we went right back in and saw Pulp Fiction and and uh, and felt um, uh, fulfilled. Cleansed. Yeah. Ful- not cleansed, but just like I, I had had empty carbs, and, and but I, I wasn't, you know, uh, uh, truly sustained yet. I and, and I and then you have this this full buffet, this magnificent thing. And that was Pulp Fiction. And you saw it for the fourth time that day. How you many bet, more? man. Not the fourth time that day. No, no. The how many th- that day you saw it for the fourth time? How many other times did you see it in the theater? Uh, probably one more time after that, or uh, that may have been my third. I don't know. But anyway, um, let's see. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, cut to uh, nine or ten movies later. Uh, we have a very different filmmaker on our hands. Has he and, matured? Uh, has he matured? Absolutely, he's matured. He's matured tremendously. And it really does show in this movie, I think. Um, he lays off a lot of what people consider Tarantino hallmarks of, you know, N-word use and things like Thank this. Thank goodness. It's not there, you know? Thank goodness. And, yeah, yeah. And As I the, even think the violence is tempered to it, the it's, it, At the very beginning, at the very end, those are the only place where it's violent. Right. The, the, there's still a lot of language. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not – thank goodness he's given up this thing, dropping the N-bomb. Oh. And there were times in this movie where it would have been appropriate, I, and I was waiting. But he did; he does make a slide against Asians. Yeah, I I don't remember that, but I and I don't, with Bruce Lee. What, oh, sure. The, well, the violence at the beginning. That's when they're talking about the movie when Al Pacino is talking when they when he takes the flamethrower out for the first time. Oh, it's like a scene from Leo's uh, Nazi uh, killing movie. Right. And about how they both love the movie was with the violence. Which, yeah, to me, that was the internal nod to Tarantino's own Inglorious Bastards. Right. Right. As but but that some, for some people, that was uncomfortable. Not as uncomfortable as the one at the end, but still... You think, oh my gosh, it's going to be more like this, and then you don't have anything like that for two hours. 
Yeah. yeah. There's so many layers to this movie. It, it's impossible. Tom Stockman's gone back, and so is Dan Buffa right. to see it again. Dan, Danny saw it the next day. I know. Well, actually, the next the the evening, like right. just a couple hours in between. I don't even know how you could do that. This movie's hard to digest it in is. one sitting. So I think there's so many layers. But there's a couple points that people have brought up to me, and, and we'll get to that because, Carl, you have to talk about it. I would, okay. Thing. Yeah. Most people see about five movies a year. And so we are here to tell you which ones, if these are your five. And th- I'm talking about going out, not Netflix or HBO or DirecTV or anything like that. Going out to the films, they, it is an event. If you are a Tarantino fan, you are going to go to this movie this weekend. You've probably already seen it. If you are not a Tarantino fan and you are a Brad Pitt and a Leonardo DiCaprio or a Margot Robbie or an Al Pacino, if you are one of those fans and you go, hey, they're in a new movie and you are not familiar with Tarantino's work, you will go into this blind and you will hate this movie. You will, you don't understand it. This is not a jumping in point for someone that is not familiar with Tarantino. No, I would say Pulp Fiction. I would, you know, I'd say start with Reservoir Dogs and work all your way up. But like, Inglorious Bastards would be a good starting point for you, and then you'd get this more. Uh, not even Django or Hateful Eight. I would say, or I would say, Hateful start too hard and start at the beginning and work your way up to this, or start with Pulp Fiction or. Like I said, even in Glorious Bastards, if you are not a fan of Quentin Tarantino and you're a Leo fan, you will walk out of this angry. And people need to understand that. If you are familiar with Tarantino's work, you are up to speed. And most people, I think, are going to be confused by this movie if they do not know what they're getting into. It had its biggest opening of a Tarantino movie since Django. No, it's it's his biggest ever. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, Thursday night previews got like five point eight, and this weekend wow. they're expecting it to get forty one mil, which is his oh. biggest. I think the Hollywood aspect of it is the draw. But if you don't know about Manson family, and if you don't know about sixties, you well, are I not going to get I it. I think you might be in trouble. Right, yeah. thirty five years old and younger. All these kids that are going to these movie, they are going to think this is what happened. And it is not what happened. No. And, and without telling anything about that, if you are not familiar with the Helter Skelter, the Tate LaBianca murders, you are going to be confused about what's going on. And so that's another thing that is different about this film. So there are so many things working against it. But it's still a beautiful movie. He is going to win Best Art Direction wow. at the Oscars no matter what else happens best art direction it is 1969 los angeles mm-hmm. it is beautifully recreated it is amazingly well done it is win. stunning it is beautiful he better win yeah and he curates his soundtrack so beautifully in all his films well, he's That's got a hallmark. person that does that yeah it's not he has input but he has a music person right but i i heard that vulture he did vulture has an article oh, really? all about this uh oh, okay well i heard person. that he like he did one of the things but he does deep cuts which is good but this yeah. one paul he doesn't necessarily he does paul river and the raiders which is a little when he shows that album of uh, when it's at sharon tate's house the spirit of 70s i go i go i just I go, had that i go i had that album <laughs> but also also rolling stones beatles and some of that stuff is 
too expensive to license. Right. And so you're going you're not gonna get you're not gonna get Led Zeppelin in your movie. No, but there's there's a point to the Paul Reaver and the Raiders. And I didn't realize this till I went I did a little deeper dive onto Terry Melcher, who was the occupant Okay, yes. so so Leo's character lives next to the house that Sharon Tate and her husband Roman Polanski. I leased. have notes, which which is also a lie because they were hundred like two hundred yards away. Mm-hmm. This is not. This is in Quentin's mind. In Quentin's mind, usually I, I yeah. come into these blind and we look up stuff on the phone later. This one I came into with notes, and this is just the cast list, and it is a full. Page. He's not joking. No, it's amazing. A, but well, it's a two-hour two and 45-minute film. So if that turns you off, that's also working against you. Yeah, it. well, a CeeLo Drive is where Sharon Tate and, and Roman Polanski lived. But they leased a house that was in, in, occupied by Terry Melcher and Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys, who... And Charles Manson lived there for a time That's because true. Charles Manson was trying to get a music deal, and eventually that was the theory. The theory <sighs> they went to that house because because uh, they were they were up. Charlie was upset that he didn't get a music deal. That was false. They only chose that house because Charlie Manson knew the layout of the house and he thought it would be easy to get in and out, and he. That's why Charles Manson went to the next night to the LaBianca house because he thought that they did it sloppily, that Tex did everything sloppily at the Tate house. And so he went mm-hmm. – and the Kasabian thing, which is really – the Kasabian girl, that didn't happen. She was the lookout. But that's played by uh, uh, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's daughter. And yeah. so she's in Stranger Things and now she's in this Tarantino movie. She's the one who, who bolts? She's the one who bolts. But okay. really in, in real life – she stayed in the car. Yeah, she didn't. She, so it's true that she didn't go in, but she didn't. She wanted to leave, as she mm-hmm. said in court, but mm-hmm. she didn't because she was afraid because her child was still back at that ranch, and that mm-hmm. ranch thing is true too. All right, so I'm, so, just, I'm well, going ahead. Yeah, well, just Rick, real quick, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth live next door. They share a driveway with right, and they Tate see and they see them in there. But anyway, Terry Melcher was Doris Day's son. Yes. And he was a music producer, and he produced Paul Revere and the Raiders. Oh, which is why they so like her. So that, that is a little connection. Okay. I was wondering if we have documentation that Sharon Tate was actually a Paul Revere and the Raiders fan. <laughs> yeah. That but might have been uh, just left in the house because they were but, renting it. But that might have been just because that little touch, that little – because mm-hmm. Tarantino is a he film. He likes stuff he like that. He is like a museum archivist and a film historian to the max. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's just he worked brilliant. at the video store and would recommend right old movies like well, that. Well, sure, he he'd seen everything. And this, by the way, this is I think one of the great values of Tarantino is that um, he's opened, he's exposed us to a lot of other film history through his films. We right. we're interested in Pulp Fiction, so we want to know, you know, what you know the orders of Douglas Sirk steak. Who's Douglas Sirk? And then you find out he's this director who made all these great melodramas in the 50s. And you go watch all those and it's like, wow. You know, and, and it's just – it goes on and on through Tarantino's entire Wrecking career. Crew has been lost in time until I bet a lot of people will go watch Wrecking Crew Absolutely. with Dean Martin and Sharon Tate because of this. Absolutely. And the theater that it's playing at is actually owned by Tarantino. Well, actually uh, – It's a New Beverly? It's called The, the one Bruin. where she went in? 
the Bruin. Our buddy Mark mm-hmm. Reardon from KMOX said he that theater is still open, and he went and saw a movie there and sat next to Bruce Springsteen. Cool. And so that it's 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 really there. It's still there, doing exactly what it's supposed to do, bringing mm-hmm. people in to see old films. That is such a sweet scene. And then another thing, when uh, when Sharon Tate goes to the bookstore to get Tess of the Durbanvilles for Roman to read, uh, he made that movie. Yes, Tess. He directed Tess. Tess. For her. So, so there's all these little, little things. These little things, but uh, the the outfit. There's always a black and white outfit in a Tarantino film. But that was because they they did black and white television, and Michael Madsen's wearing the black and white outfit. Yeah, but Sharon Tate's got the white mini dress, a uh, mini skirt with the black top. Mm-hmm. When and they the go to the Playboy boots. Mansion. And, well, no, no, that, yeah, was, that was in the movie right. when she's watching the movie. But, but Sharon Tate has a glow about her in this film. You call oh, yeah, her she's pregnant impossibly too. <laughs> radiant, barefoot yeah. and pregnant, mm-hmm. which is kind of possibly radiant. Yeah, she just is angelic. She yeah. is. She's Margot Robbie, and she has to be. That's why she's perfect casting because for this movie to work, you have to fall in love with Sharon Tate with very little reason why. To fall in love with Sharon Tate, other than she's just radiating uh, beauty and sweetness. Sweetness. She's, she's magic yeah. pixie girl. Right. Huh? She's the trope of the uh, man- manic pixie girl. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Except she's not uh, available. Well, she doesn't. Well, yes and no, but she she doesn't have any lines for the first forty five minutes. Right. Just, hmm. And she's just a specter. Just like Roman Polanski right. doesn't have any lines in the entire yeah. film. I don't think he has no. any lines. I don't in the think film. so either. No, I don't think so. No, because he didn't want to glamorize him, but he's a very minor character. But here. also, th- what happens to Sharon Tate is what drove Roman Polanski crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you see Macbeth in uh, the 1975 version, yeah. you know there's something going on there. And that, that's why. And, um, and so everything yeah. you think about Roman Polanski, all is because of this, what happens or doesn't happen in this film. And can right. you blame it? I mean, like, I you know, if you yes, had your baby cut out. he still did horrible things, but right. I understand what drove him insane. Right. If you had your baby cut out of your wife. And your, your wife murdered. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. I think uh, there's a lot going on there. But that's the reason why he's just a shadow figure. But the story that Steve McQueen tells, and Damian Lewis is oh. just, mm-hmm. I want to see him do a mo- movie. I wanted of, more of Steve McQueen. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if Damian Lewis was cast in a and movie about Steve McQueen? one scene. And yeah. it's so tiny, but it's relevant because he tells that Playboy story. At the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. With uh, Mama Cass and Michelle Phillips. And the, the girl that is next to him, is that like a Joey Heatherton? I'm not sure who she is. Yeah. I'm sure she's somebody, though. Hold on. Yeah, because she had the blonde I have the cast wig. with... Um, <laughs> they were all... I can't tell. There are so many people in the I know. It's a, it's a mile-long cast but list. It, it's, a, it's a mashup of real people and then fictional composites. Well, it was Michelle Phillips, cast. It's supposed to be Connie Stevens. Oh, Connie Stevens. Okay. Because I was like, who is the blonde girl that he's talking to? Dreama Walker, who was mm-hmm. on that show oh. with... Uh, she was on the show with Kristen Ritter, the bitch in apartment 23 with james vanderbeek and she was also in yes and she was also in that uh, movie uh with uh ann mcdowd or ann ann dowd where she's the manager of the uh uh oh, fast food like compulsion com, 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 oh yeah compulsion the, yeah compulsion? Compulsion? was that what that and, was called and then I she takes yeah. her they make her take her clothes off because they think yeah. she stole something and it's all 
fake? Yes, that's Dreamer Walker. Oh, okay. And she was playing Connie Stevens. That's right. I was like, I know this name, but I don't know where, and it's from that movie. His knack for casting is just uh, un- unbelievable. But And then he, Rumor Willis is in... As Joanna it's, Pettit. It's everyone's kids. Right. It's Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman's kid and, uh, and Andy Bruce McDowell's Willis's kid. kid. And, yeah. So he's getting everybody that he's worked with. So instead of casting their parents, yeah. he's casting younger versions of them. And, and at I first I thought, are they the Manson gang, all these all these kids and and as, as it turns out they're not i thought that well that's an interesting metaphor no but that, uh, you know, dakota new... fanning is oh dakota she, fanning is yeah. chilling as yeah. squeaky yeah. from those scenes at the ranch are so tense they're practically unbearable we need we need to back up yeah leonardo caprio plays rick dalton who was in a western series called bounty law which was based on a real show called wanted dead or alive which and is clint eastwood and Dalton has a stuntman named Cliff Booth. I'm sorry, not Clint Eastwood. He was Rawhide. Burt Reynolds. Yeah, he was Clint. uh, 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 Rawhide was Clint Eastwood. Burt Reynolds and his stunt double, Hal Needham, is the basis of Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, a war veteran and best friend. And they modeled Cliff Booth's character after Billy Jack. Oh. Hmm. And so, and then you have the whole, they, I didn't they, know that. they live next door to Sharon Tate, Roman Polatsky, and Jay Sebring. Some weird sex triangle as, as, well, you have to see it in the movie yeah. to hear uh, Damien Lewis tell why all three of them are living together. I and it's that. fascinating. It is. And I thought Jay Sebring was gay, but back when you didn't yeah. out yourself. Well, see, you and know? that's that, uh, Tim Roth, who is not in the movie, was playing Sebring's English butler. And as you see in the credits, it says, cut. cut. He's not in it. There are three people that are not in the film that you've heard about. James Marsden was supposed to be in the film, and he was going to play Burt Reynolds. And Burt Reynolds was going to be Bruce Dern's character, but he passed away. Ooh. And so could you I, – I, I think Bruce Dern does a fascinating job. He does. I, I do mm-hmm. not think that Burt Reynolds would have done no. as great job. And Bruce Dern plays real-life person George Spahn, which is – he had the ranch – and he was blind. They filmed all these 50s and 60s westerns there, and the Manson family took over. And so Brad Pitt goes there because he's familiar with the place, and he he's suspicious, which also is based on a true uh, true story because one of these um, one of these old guys went there to go see George and almost called the cops, and they almost killed the guy. <gasps> it's all it's it's so weird how much of this is almost true yeah and it that's also very tarantino he wants stuff to be yeah almost, almost true. true yeah because it is a movie but the the spawn ranch i bet we have seen countless westerns probably yeah film there like bonanza yeah. rawhide Gunsmoke. when they're on the horses and uh they're in the terrain you mm-hmm. just know that that terrain's been used a zillion movies by the way one of other tarantino's trademark things he does he always mentions tennessee where's the couple from that are doing the horseback riding they're from tennessee yeah. Nice. Because he grew up in Tennessee before he? he moved to L.A. Oh. And yeah. Charlie Manson is only in the film for one scene and still has a huge specter. And it's when he's asking, hey, where's Dennis Wilson? And they tell him he doesn't live there anymore. Yeah. But you can go around to the back. And that's the only scene that mm-hmm. Charles Manson is in the film. And isn't he in an ice cream truck or something like that, like a delivery truck? No, he's truck? walking. He's walking. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
Well, okay. so and then you've got this thing that Brad Pitt's character, Cliff Booth, everyone's afraid of him because he <laughs> killed his wife. But <laughs> well, you don't know. You don't know that, and you don't see it, but you see the moments leading up to her death. And, and that's Rebecca Gayhart. Rebecca Gayhart playing Billy. Mm-hmm. And it's so and there are so many tangents to this film because then you've got <laughs> normally oh and um, Samuel L. Jackson is not in this film. He he says that he was too busy doing Marvel stuff even though he still came back and did voiceover for Inglorious Bastards cuz he's not in it. Right. He the one of his other Marvel buddies Kurt Russell is the one that does the voiceover for this movie and yeah. he their situation is very weird because they don't trust Cliff because of what he did to his wife. And then there's the whole scene of why they don't like it, and it involves Bruce Lee again. And it is it is the tangents in this movie, and they all lead together in the last half hour. But oh. you have to get through two hours and ten minutes to get to that last ha- half and, hour. And you have to realize that the Green Hornet was on TV. And At Bruce, the same time. Bruce Lee was Cato, and so <laughs> and Brad Pitt called Dermot him Cato. Cato all the time, and but the, just the fact, like when Squeaky Frome says, "Well, we always watch FBI and Bonanza together," that is what you did back then. Mm-hmm. You had specific shows, network television. That's the only time you saw it. You had to watch it, or you missed it. And the little girl, uh, Trudy Frazier, inspired by Meryl Streep, it says here, oh. Julia Butters, and she. Is, is brilliant, fantastic. She should know. get a she should get a supporting actress nomination. Somebody said to me, and I'm not sure which critic it was, but they thought that that was put in to show the rising uh, attitude of women and actors and actors in method. Yeah, in uh, yeah, but Brando was doing that in the fifties. Yeah, but not not women. Women weren't method. I don't know. Well, but, uh, it wasn't as uh, popular a thing. It hadn't. Co- I mean, th- it took a while for that kind of thing to seep in, and certainly on a production. I only go by was. my character's name when I'm in the theater. Yeah. Plus, you know, D- Dakota Fanning was notoriously that way that when way. she was that age, and, her, and now she's know, sitting around without a bra, not standing up. <laughs> she's in that movie. Oh. Yeah. So it's again another. And in that scene, Luke Perry's final work. Yeah. And he's really good too. He is being in yeah. one scene, and, and it it yeah. actually creates a pall over the movie because yeah. yeah, when you see him, it's it's sad. But but that's they, a fantastic scene too. It is. But uh, T- Tarantino is master at casting, but he has cast some people with some shadows on them, and just like the the Brad Pitt character, because mm-hmm. Rebecca Gay Hart, mm-hmm. uh, she was in that manslaughter. Uh, accident mm-hmm. and she was in Beverly Hills 90210 and then Emil Hirsch got into some trouble yes and so he has cast some some people with some bad press around them so who knows if he's making a little statement because of Roman Polanski mm-hmm. and and different things like that or in Brad Pitt's character who right right who possibly might possibly. have killed his wife on a boat right yeah. I love that scene well Brad's always driving and those scenes are great he's the best thing about, about the film I lots of car is. driving in this movie oh but it's it's so brilliant even when you have the throwaway like they pass the theater with three in the attic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well uh, for the at night you can't read the marquees. But in the daytime, you can. 
And they're everywhere. And they are everywhere because yeah. it's Hollywood. Right. Yeah. There's a movie theater on every corner. And and there it's brilliant when Robert Richardson, the cinematographer, that scene where everything is twilight mm-hmm. and they go to the light, the neon signs. Brr. Brilliant. All right. We have not mentioned Timothy Oliphant. He's in he's in one of the scenes that uh, Rick Dalton's trying to make a comeback in, even though Al Pacino tells him he should not do that. Uh, we have not mentioned Margaret Qualley. She plays Pussycat. Yeah. yeah based on a real Manson member named Kitty. Well, I, I kind of mentioned her because she is Andy McDowell's daughter. Okay. And uh, I didn't know that. I've read that this morning. And uh, she is... Uh, she steals every scene she's in, doesn't mm-hmm. she? She's great. She's nominated yeah. for an Emmy for Fosse Verdon. She plays Anne Rankin. Oh, okay. oh wow. She was a ballet star. I, I read her I little can bio. That. That's why on, she's so tiny. Yeah, on IMDb. She was going to be a ballet mm-hmm. uh, star. So that makes perfect sense, her being in Fosse Verdon as Anne mm-hmm. Rankin. Mm-hmm. But sure. she also got, she was in The Leftovers on HBO, okay. which I never did finish. I hear I hear it winds up very nicely. Yeah. You didn't watch season three. Those episodes you haven't seen, they're just leftovers. Right. <laughs> nicely done. Uh, but, Austin uh, but, Butler plays Tex Watson, another Manson oh, family yeah. guy. Who is chilling, chilling. Yeah. Still alive. That's the thing, you know. That's, uh, Kasabian's alive. Squeaky's alive. Yeah. Squeaky yes. just got paroled, and I she know. tried to That's kill the president. Insane. Oh. Insane. And then, so yeah, Leslie Van Houten. I, I can't remember all the names of the girls that went to jail, but a couple of them were up for parole this time. Uh, let's yeah. see. Uh, uh, Leslie Van Houten. Crinkwell, or Krenwinkle, oh. uh, Leslie Van Houten, Catherine Scher, oh. Sadie Adkins. She's in the film. Um Let's see. Oh, we didn't mention uh, the the actress that has the best screaming, uh, Lorenzo Izzo, as the uh, as Rick's future wife, <laughs> and the Italian thing. And then there are the people next door, like uh, Samantha Robinson as Abigail Folger, the coffee heiress. Heiress. Yeah. And I don't want to get into that. And the Polish dude, uh, Tarantino married right. one of the actresses in the movie. Did, Did he? he? Yeah. Yeah, that's I right. Shocked. I forgot yeah. he got married. Yeah, yeah. I don't can't always... remember. I don't know which who it one. Is. We've probably mentioned her. No, no, yeah. it's a different name. It's a name that I didn't recognize in the movie. Yeah, mm. no, he's always been such a such a ladies' man. Mm-hmm. Um, and Martin, Myra Sovino, Martin Cove from The Karate Kid plays one of the villains on uh, Bounty Law. And Fun. isn't the original Spider Man in some... yeah. Nicholas James Ramar is in. Uh, Bounty Law too. There, there are so many well, opportunities for cameos. Yeah, Nicholas well, Hammond was he's in TV's it? Spider-Man. Yeah, right. he's in the, the movie. The 1970s, no, early yes, 80s yes. CBS show. Yeah. Yeah, it's just masterful casting, and uh, Timothy Oliphant is very good as James Stacy. He James Stacy was one of those TV ready pretty boys, mm-hmm. but he was nice. But he also looked like he was. Uh, he spoke Spanish perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was in a lot of those Westerns, guest stars, and then he got to be his own. Apparently, was there a show called Lancer? Because apparently this is yes, a tribute. It was a real show. Yeah, a real show. And that's what James Tarantino was, was going Yeah, was going for, this Lancer and this Bengal Lancer when they start laughing. But that's Leo's best work in this movie is when, when he, he is uh, 
you're going to stop drinking. No, it, it, he, he talks talking to that about, little girl. Yes. He talks to that little girl. And his scene with her. Well, that's another trademark of, of Tarantino, having the older person impart wisdom to a younger person. And then he goes in and flubs up the scene. But that's so melodramatic, that scene. But when he's he in his trailer, is great. Yeah. And then when he goes to the trailer and just gives himself a, the riot act, but then he calms down and he comes back and he's Mr. Intense. Nicholas Ooh. Hammond was Sam Wanamaker. Who is also a real person? Who, if you notice how he dressed Leo as the villain, he goes, "We want to have a mustache. We, we want, want to have the fringe." Oh, and wait a minute, he's the director. That's who that yeah. guy. Okay. Yeah, and and that is so like what happened in the seventies. All those antiheroes, mm-hmm. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and then Robert Altman with McCabe and Mrs. Miller, and so so uh, Tarantino is foreshadowing the golden era of seventies filmmaking that's about to rip. So Nicholas Hammond, was he really made up to look like oh, Sam yeah. Wanamaker? Or was he or is it just how he looks now? Because that I, was 40 years ago. I couldn't tell you how Nicholas Hammond looks now. Okay. Um, but other than that, okay. um, I would guess. I think, I think he was made up. And Al Pacino is not in the movie a lot. No, he's he really actually in two or three scenes. But, but he's, one, <sighs> one scene is all you need with him. He's no, no, he's, he's in three scenes. He gets the plot, well, such as it he's is. He's a catalyst. The plot. Yeah, yeah, it's not, this movie has no plot, but he gets, it does he gets, not have he gets a plot. Leo's story going. Right. Uh, effectively. Um, yeah, uh, just about how this is what hap- is going to happen to your career. And he was right, 100% yeah. right. Let's see, yeah. Al Pacino based on a real guy. No, Marvin Schwartz is not a real guy. Not a real guy. But when Leo comes out and goes, I'm a has-been. <laughs> he's, he's everyone and no one in Hollywood, though. Exactly. That, uh, oh that type. Now, Margot Robbie did not talk to Roman Polanski, but she read his autobiography. And so that's how she related to – But. Roman Polanski's not really in the movie, and I don't know how that would have helped her. Nah. He had that puffy shirt with the vel- blue velvet. When they're going to the Playboy Mansion, it just shows you about that that whole '60s vibe yeah. and that they were on top the of the world. So, the Mulholland Drive and everything. Speaking of that, it's yeah. that same shot uh, with the camera mounted to the back of the car. You see the back of their heads. The camera's pointing through the windshield, mm-hmm. and the car. It's so it's clearly the actors doing their own driving, and they are tearing around these hairpin turns of the Hollywood Hills. You know, like uh, you know, Brad Pitt does it. Oh yeah, the, Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt has in the could have Deville. Died. Yeah, yeah. The Polanski and Tate ones do it, and it's like. I don't know where this fits in the timeline of the last few years, but if you guys remember, Quentin Tarantino got in hot water when Uma Thurman um, released footage from Kill Bill Volume 2 where he coerced her um, into doing her own driving on that scene where he wanted her to drive 40 miles an hour down a gravel road in this car and then come tearing up to a stop, and it had to be her because of the way the shot, the shot. is, mm-hmm. and uh, and so she she didn't want to do it, and she she protested, and then she eventually caved, and she did it, and she crashed the car into a tree and got herself hurt, and still has pain to this day. Mm-hmm. Uh. And all of this came out, and which I thought around the time he was f- filming this movie, hmm. and and here in this movie, they do we it have again. M- more than one instance of this same shot. Yes. Where, yeah. they, where they zip out of their driveway and right. make that turn, and Brad Pitt goes way yeah. into the other lane. The uh, the Tate Polanski, they don't 
they're mm-hmm. safer with their turn. They're safer with their turn. Uh, they weren't going to kill anybody. And then there's a Leonardo, was it DiCaprio, who pulls he, up to the house and it's just like, like he's going 40 miles an hour and comes to a sudden stop right in, right in his spot. But he doesn't drive, so it was Brad Pitt. Oh, okay, okay, it had right. To be read because that's the that's the thing, and that's very Wolf of Wall Street. I'm like, we already saw this in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, the the revisionists where they say, here's what really happened. Well, they get they get because uh, uh, Brad Pitt has to drive him because he's got too many DUIs. So uh, then Brad gets in his crappy car, and then that drive is brilliant when he goes to the Van Nuys Drive-In Theater. Mm-hmm. Then he comes into his lives. little. Uh, PETA has uh, launched a complaint against... Uh, Why? Uh, about... That wasn't real. Well, the uh, saying using a pit bull... Uh, because they're they're the most misunderstood oh, breed. Is and that why the PETA uh, the a- no animals were harmed is so prominent in the closing credits? Probably. It's yeah, like but, but way they, earlier than where it usually is, which right. is at the end of any closing credits. Yeah, right, but they today apparently or yesterday they launched a, they they Don't filed see a complaint. They're upset about the mm-hmm. use of the pit bull. Must have known this but was coming. Well, I don't. The There's dog, nothing wrong. The dog is think, great. Right? I mean, the dog no, is great. The yeah. dog he is great. Hurt. No, no, no he's a, he the, he brings the hurt. Uh, is it a spoiler <laughs> to say the dog in the in the movie isn't even hurt? No, yeah, the dog's. There's no reason to think a, that the dog was harmed. It is a well trained dog. Mm-hmm. The only the only torture to this dog is that Brad Pitt waits till the food is done before the dog can eat, because it is two it is two specific types of dog food. Yeah, one flavor and the other flavor, and then the dry dog food on top of it, and then the dog is allowed to eat. Right. And that is a great scene too. And, and we need that scene to show how uh, how disciplined the dog, the dog is. is. Yeah, Brandy, thanks, Brandy. Brandy, you're a fine girl. And uh, <laughs> all right, yeah. how would you make this movie better? It's too long. I agreed. <sighs> um, I sat there feeling the length, although you know, but you don't know how it's going to end. So, and then you're afraid how it's going to end, and then it gets weird and people are complaining about the end. I don't know if I'd change a thing weirdly. I you know. I, I've it's got his an vision. I'm still not sold on the end. I'm still not sold on it. I'm because getting, I'm you warming lived up through that. Yeah. And that's the it's, thing. It's if hard. And as a journalist, it's really hard for yeah. me to This does not mess help their the case. Facts. Right. Exactly. This does not help them. No. Because everyone that lived through that has right. expectations and they yeah. think they're tarnishing the names of the people that were involved and it is not it makes the it, I would say this without spoiling anything it makes the guilty parties look buffoonish rather than insanely uh, criminal as the, 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 what they were yeah and if you want to read anything read Helter Skelter because that Ugh. is so chilling I had a quick don't watch read the miniseries and, and, and reading it at night and it's it's brilliant um a girl that I worked at the News Democrat with actually grew up with one of the Manson family, and I looked him up in the back of the book. He was a fringe person, mm. but she said he was a really goody two And if he was a guy, it would have yeah. been, it would have been maybe the guy that uh, Brad Pitt takes a shine to. <laughs> Here's how you make this movie shorter, and I think this would work. It because I've thought about this now for four days. What do you cut? Yeah. What do you cut? Margot Robbie. Make her a specter, just like Rowan Polanski. Nothing that, nothing that she's in, is even. You can even keep that very last scene over the intercom. You don't need any of her stuff. Keep her a specter, and you make this movie tighter. Because really, you don't need her. She's better off as 
the beauty that she is if you do, if she doesn't she doesn't really do anything in no. this film. No, she does absolutely nothing. And if no. you cut out her scenes, I mean, yeah, seeing the Wrecking Crew in that it's a very sweet scene. Yeah. But unnecessary to the film adds another ten minutes. It, and we, they use the real one, like she's in her movie clip. Right. right. It's not her. Right. Yeah. No. It's not Margot Robbie, like they did when they do something with the Great Escape, and that is a great scene too. But that could go too. Yeah. yeah. Well, the film starts off February eighth, nineteen sixty nine, and then it suddenly cuts into uh, August August eighth, nineteen sixty nine. And Woodstock takes place the year after that. A lot of people say that's when the sixties died at the after, after the end of Woodstock. No, the, Woodstock is sixty nine. I know. I'm saying, How but about, that happened after the week after the all week this. after you said the year. Oh, I'm sorry. Week, 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 I was like, say uh, the sixties died in December of sixty nine at the Altamont Speedway. With, with the Rolling the Stones, Rolling Stones, and uh, give Hell's shelter. Angels, Hell's a- yeah, Hell's Angels incident. There mm-hmm. is that's another uh, milestone. I, I think between the the Tate murders and that, um, and things just unraveling, and the fact that Vietnam. it was December in of 1969. Vietnam, exactly. This was. Um, I mean, there was tensions all over the world in 1968. So, yeah, they're still talking about the uh, murders. They're still talking about the Bobby Kennedy murders in this film. In this film. Because at the the beginning, it's the beginning of 1969, and 1968 was a horrible year. Mm -hmm. And so they are still talking about that just to give you a sense of thing. But I would say that, and Quentin yelled at a reporter Mm -hmm. that said, hey, uh, Margot Robbie's barely in this movie and he said I reject your hypothesis yeah. and went after the reporter but I reject that I, she does not need to be in this film I was and it would be tighter because That's I was like, point. I was like Carl you're not wrong Except he uh, says he wants her in the movie. He's already they've already gotten into trouble because she is doesn't have a line the, for the first time. This fantasy girl kind of role that doesn't add up to a whole lot in, in a sense although she is in a sense also everything yes well i've i've heard this theory that it's about ghosts what it's about hollywood ghosts oh the ghost of hollywood past mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. well okay yeah. and then and that's one of the theories is that's why she's in there now her sister her younger sister deborah uh, was a consultant on the movie and even let them use some of her jewelry. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And uh, she gave her blessing to this film. Oh, Sharon Tate's younger sister. I thought you mm-hmm. meant Margot Robbie. Yeah. No. Sister. No. Deborah Tate. Deborah Tate. She's listed in the thanks. Okay. If you if you see that. Yeah. And, and apparently so is, somebody has an article like Vanity Fair. Somebody has an article. And our about buddy it. Jim Bats, his friend, they do a lot of retrospective, and one of the retrospective is. Mad Magazine making fun of Bounty Law. Right. And Jim's friend drew that cool. and got a credit in the film. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. There's so many little parts. Like when, when Leo says he got the part because Fabian broke his collarbone. Now see, that's Those funny. Those are just lines. that There's surprising humor because in he this. Is mm-hmm. a, he's, he, can, he knows that we would appreciate Tarantino fans appreciate that kind of stuff. Anybody else would have just like yeah. made made something up. Cut that yeah, line for time. all the all the all the little historic things that he, that he brings up, you know, and then about old school Hollywood because you know it was very much a studio system. That's when the studio system was also unraveling. If you are a Tarantino fan, you should see this film. Well, I think they already have, like you said. But if you're not, I still I still stand by it. Yeah, and I think you'd mentioned earlier that. 
Brad Pitt fans might be upset or Leo fans might be upset by this. And I don't know because I'm thinking back on their semi-recent work and what all. Um, uh, Brad Pitt turned up in The Tree of Life in 2011, oh. and that is anything but conventional. And then I remember being in uh, the lobby of a theater and Moneyball was uh, mm-hmm. on the way. It hadn't come out yet, and there was a poster of it, which was an unconventional promo poster. It yes. was a whole big field of green, of uh, a baseball field, with him down in the corner, framed up strangely. And I remember this woman looking at it and just kind of nodding her head going, Brad Pitt is he's he's destroying his career he's only in these weird movies now <laughs> and that was 2012 right so you know he's been doing offbeat stuff for a while indie wire named uh tree of life is i think number 11 or number 10 of the mm-hmm. best films of the decade yeah i i mm-hmm. wholeheartedly disagree with that I, that was the my worst film that year i oh. and it's some people i i'm not a fan but it's some people's i know favorite i know movie. people some there right are some here people. i'm a huge fan i think it should have been higher on that list and i like that list um, it's polarizing it's, it, it is polarizing well, it's fun though moonlight was number one yes and boyhood was in there too yeah and i mean yeah. it's only and the year's not even over yet so that's not fair you still right. have six months a well, year six these, they, they think Lists. they've seen everything by now. Um, they haven't. No. But they do. They think they've they think they've think got this buttoned I mean, they, up. Ha- they have The Last Jedi in there. In, yeah. In, in their 100 in, films. In the 70s And we somewhere. haven't seen yeah. the... Yeah. They don't know if Rise of Skywalker is better than The Last Jedi. We don't either. No. We'll wait till, Froze, the, we'll I, wait till the movies are done for the year before we... And then we we'll make, do that yeah. best of the decade. Sure, yeah, sure. we did. It was kind of fun when Tom Stockman did that a couple years ago. He said we're the best yeah. since 2000. Max and I ruined his curve. Well, yeah. you... you <laughs> I think I may have as well. You, Max, and I all picked 500 Days of Summer. I love that movie. And so I was very happy That's a great to see film. that. But yeah. Well, no, Max was, and I... Uh, rated Lego movie high enough that he had to put it in the list and he did not want to put it in the list. Uh, that's right. Because Lego movie, I love Lego movie. It is awesome. The first but, one. But yeah, no, it was fun to see everybody's list. So it'd be fun to revisit that and to do it, um, you know, for our purposes. Um, what was the one where Brad Pitt is the fitness instructor? Oh, Burn After Reading. Burn yeah. After Reading. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Coen Brothers. Right. Yeah, I love that movie. Oddball movie. It's that, so another oddball, oddball movie yeah. that he's well, doing. Speaking of his low points, how about By the Sea? Did not see. I liked that. Um, I didn't love it, but I liked that. Um, It was weird and gutsy and strange of Angelina Jolie to turn around after making that World War II movie uh, and make this weird kind of uh, almost confessional. um, Is this the one they're on the boat? No, they're like in Italy. Yeah, it's like a, oh no, and then I, and then they uh, split up after. I did know, I, I did can, not see that. So one. It's a, it's a Michelangelo Antonioni movie. It's it's very you know so weird. Just kind of caught I up in its head it. and about the scenery and the and the in in uh, it, whatever however you pronounce this um, um, ennui ennui. Thank you. It, it's that um, and yeah, by the sea. I would not recommend for most folks, but uh, <laughs> it's something. It's something. They uh, they sent it to us because they had to. Yes. It, no, no, but it wasn't even no. close to any remote. But I find it interesting that Brad Pitt's uh, entire love life 
is on screen is on screen because Mr. and Mrs. Smith is a clear indication that he's that, done with Jennifer that, Aniston. That Jennifer Aniston is history, and then and then by the, uh, by the sea is Angelina's like, they're album. limping to the finish. That line. was really true. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's interesting. So I I recommend this if you're a Tarantino fan. I half recommend it if you are not a Tarantino fan. Well, I, I highly recommend it if you're a Tarantino fan. I recommend it if you care about cinema at all. Yes. Yes, um, but it's it's like and I think this is already in ground for people who love movies. Mm-hmm. You have you're, to you're see a every Tarantino new Tarant- fan. You you have to see every new Tarantino movie well whether you like him or not. Well, that, that and I know some people there. I know some people that love movies that love cinema and know you know really don't immersed, like Tarantino. but they don't love Tarantino because he um, he has crutches. And a lot of them are not in this film. Uh, the feet are the feet are most definitely. That's gross. <laughs> well, aside from that, I mean, his public persona—he's—he's he's very much an irritating loudmouth, and uh, you know, I think that's what like. Yeah, but like he doesn't really do interviews anymore. Letterman Tarantino. I, when I, it, whenever I he has a I, new movie, I haven't seen him make the rounds this time. Um, he's out there. I I've avoided it by the okay. way. Um, because he because you don't want to see. He him. irritates me so much. Like when he made Django Unchained and he came out bragging and beating his chest about how no one's talking about slavery but me. No one's talking about slavery. This is an important issue in America, and, and I'm the one who it's, it, who's making it. And then Twelve Years a Slave came out right then, mm-hmm. and and kind of. You know, put shoved, some water on that, right? Yeah, it's like you know, and it's like you know, I like Django and man, Tarantino, shut up. You know, was that it's the like, first one with Leo? Yes, Django was. Yes, mm-hmm. and his only. Yeah, yeah, till the now, until now, till now, until, this until now. And Brad was, uh, uh, he didn't direct True Romance, but he wrote it, and then uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yes, so. I don't know. He's he's an acquired taste. Uh, there's a lot of visionary directors now since him and before him, and so uh, he. But what uh, I like and a lot of people hate is that he is a pop culture blender. Well, Max Foisy, our buddy Max, says that this movie is a masterpiece. Maybe it, it is. I think it's too early to tell that it's Me a masterpiece. Too. Yeah, and there are things that are not 100 percent. Right, it's not cool flawless. It. Yeah, no, it's, it's not. not flawless. It can be a flaw. It can be a flaw-filled masterpiece. Yeah, right, I agree. it is. Yeah. It is his. I will say this. It is his magnum opus. I, really? Yeah. Uh, don't maybe. you think that? Don't you think the tenth one will be the magnum opus? Uh, well, not if it's R-rated Star Trek that he's <laughs> well, been threatening true. to make. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I think up to this point. He's never made a movie about Hollywood. He is a child of Hollywood, if there ever was one. Yeah. And and the fact that it all comes together in such a way, I was hoping it would be as good as it, I wanted it to be. Afterwards, I was having, I struggled to digest it, and I had to write my review. And oh, I, I like, feel bad for oh, you. Oh, my God. But I, I will say the points I did make, I, I stand by them. I'm just not sold about the ending. I gave it an A minus because of that. Yeah. And because he does still, even though I think it's his most disciplined, I do agree with you, needs to be edited, and you guys make totally valid points, and I, I understand that. And I think there's so much depth to this. We could be talking about this for another two hours. and and that's, We've already talked about it for an hour. Yeah, and that's yeah. the beauty of this movie is – it has so many layers, and it is so richly textured. And if you grew up right. watching those, everything that he references 
is is just I don't know. I I came out and you know we have to say what we thought of the movie when we come out and sometimes that it's is not fair because you know like this one. Um, I, I came out and I said I you know I like it. I admire it. Need to digest in, in it. parts, but I don't love it. And and I still might feel that way, except for the fact that in the four days since we've seen it, I haven't stopped thinking about it. Me too. And that's it's, why I think it's it's growing on me. I need to see it again. Yeah, it's under my skin, and I don't. It's like okay, well, that means there's something there. It's beautiful. It is beautifully yeah. shot. That Robert Richardson, only oh, uh, one of a handful of of uh, cinematographers to win three Oscars. This he'll be nominated. There's going to be so many Oscar nominations from this movie. Yeah. Well, uh, the New Yorker had uh, a Tarantino, uh, David Edelstein. Uh, rank the films of Quentin Tarantino. He says there are 10 of them, by the way, not nine. He said that this one's third hmm. behind Jackie Brown and Pulp Fiction. Interesting. Hmm. See, again, I, I'm, I'm with you guys where I have to go back and look at Jackie Brown. It's been, that made such a little impression on me at the time. But Robert Forrester. Because it came right, um, it came after Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And I, it was so different. All and these I, movies have been different. Yeah, we were hoping, you know, we we're hoping for something more akin to Pulp Fiction. We got something that was more akin to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so no, I was like, one of these days I'll revisit Jackie Brown and uh, probably turn, like, really love it. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully. Yeah. So, hey, hey, we all want to like movies. That's why yeah. we go. We and want, yeah, we anybody. See. I know. Anybody why would you go to something that you hate? Go to I a, know. If you open mind, and you and you obviously don't start a love of movies later in life. Uh, it's it's instilled early on. Mm-hmm. So you have that when whole you push your children in front of the thing and you just leave and go do adult things. <laughs> All right. I've, I've worked hard on this. Uh, I, I don't know how, how much I do right as a parent, but uh, cultivating film lovers uh, has, has been, I think, a success. Would you bring your child to this? To this? No. No, no. This is not that. <laughs> the scene at I, the end is very violent. That's insanely yeah. violent. Ten-year-old uh, uh, yeah. Tim and, and, and seven-year-old Charlie weren't going, but... Um, but no, they did see. It uh, is hilarious. All the other Tarantino and people movies. are laughing during right. it because they it's don't so, know what to do. It's so nuts. I was laughing. It's so over the top. W- exactly. It's so over the well. Top. There's there's yeah. one thing that that connects Leo's uh, film work that uh, that just was stunning because you didn't see that coming. You know. No, you wouldn't think that he would. Well, never mind. You know, there is another Still film. Props. There is another film that comes out this week. If yes. you need to, if you need <laughs> some, if you are not a Tarantino fan, you want a nice wholesome film that is in eighty percent Mandarin. So you have to read. Okay. It's called The Farewell. It's by A twenty four Films, oh, and it yeah. stars stars Aquafina. No, and it's getting you, hundred fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Did you see this? I did. On Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. You what, guys. Wait, 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 wait. At I, the high point. I oh, the high point. Yeah. I see. I sent a critic to the screening. Mm-hmm. Was that the high point? Not they in the back changed lot. The theater. It they was not in the back the lot. It was in the main theater. He went into the. He he said it, it's canceled. The screening's canceled. No, there was and, a and sign he, on the door. Zeke Film did not get to review the farewell, and I was like, "That's insane! Why would they cancel that movie? That's getting a lot they of didn't, press." They didn't. They had so many people there. It was too big for the black. They said they had. Uh, projector issues but there were too many people for the back lot so they mm. had a sign on the door the door was locked and said uh 
the screening for uh, that's weird. This is in, in the high point, okay. so that all they had to do was walk around to the front of the film. Well, I don't, man, I don't know what happened. That was the same night as okay. the Peanut Butter Falcon yes. directors were at Plaza Frontenac, yes, and has, that's what I was on. He has a way. crew that oh, he can send. Yeah. I know. I I don't go to everything. I can't. I delegate. So yeah, my guy. Uh, it's called The Farewell, and yes. it's starring Aquafina, who, excuse me, her mother is South Korean and her father is Chinese American. And it also stars as her father, Zima, who was in the arrival as the Chinese uh, oh. the Chinese phone call guy. Okay. And he was also on 24 as the Chinese consulate. And he was also in Rush Hour 3. But this is based on a true story. Actually, as they say in the, the first thing, this is based on a true lie. In China, they don't have they don't tell terminal patients that they are dying they just let them live their lives until they pass until there's a time where they know where the person figures it out and so as they as the family says the family shoulders the burden of letting them know that they're that they're dying rather than let the person that is dying shoulder the burden of knowing that they don't have that much time to live so what happens in this story, Aquafina lives in New York, and she is up for a Guggenheim grant, and she does not get that. And she's borrowing her parents' m- money all the time, and they he is an interpreter. So they live in New York, and her uncle lives in Japan, and grandma, who she talks to on the phone all the time, like at least several times a week, is at the hospital. And she goes, Nana, what's wrong? And she's like, oh, nothing. She doesn't want to tell her what's going on. And so she sees her parents, and her parents are upset, and they don't tell her why. It's because grandma's dying, and grandma doesn't know. And she's like, well, we got to tell her. What they're doing is they're having her first cousin, the uh, Japanese family, um, their son is getting married, quote, unquote. They're throwing a fake wedding so everyone can come in and say their farewells to grandma. And so that is the premise of this film, which is based on the director's real life grandma. And she told that story, she wrote and directed this, told that story on This American Life. So Ira Glass gets a thanks in the credits because she told the story there. And now that she's made this film all about it. It is wholesome. It is, there's a dichotomy here. There's uh China versus America, there's lie versus truth, there's old versus young. There are very different things going on. And should tradition and burden be placed on the old or the young? It is very thought-provoking film, and I enjoyed it very much. And I did not care that it was 80% Mandarin. The English in the movie is well-placed. So the doctor that is giving uh, Grandma... A once-over went to school in England. So Aquafina and the doctor are talking in English, and Grandma and the rest of the family don't know what they're talking about except for her parents. And so it makes it very poignant. And Grandma is like, oh, we're just checking up on you. And sometimes you think Grandma knows. Other times you don't. Grandma wants everyone to be concerned about the wedding. And it's a four, it takes place over the course of four or five days. And you see grandma's health getting worse and you don't know if she's going to make it to the wedding. And everyone's over the top. And like when the father of the groom makes a speech, he breaks down. But grandma just thinks everyone's overwhelmed for the wedding. And then when the groom gets up to make a speech, he can barely get a word out. 
and his Japanese wife doesn't know what the hell's going on. It's very well done, and Aquafina is actually a really good actress. If you've only seen her on Saturday Night Live or uh, Crazy Rich Asians, this is a dramatic role, and she does throw. And she's a stand-up comedian and a rapper. She is really good actress in this movie. And oh, that was my phone. Sorry. And I really appreciated. And I'm glad I saw the farewell. I read an article in USA Today a week ago, and I said, "Ooh, I should go see this." And I'm glad I did. And I hope that people see this film. It's going to be, it's going to be a sleeper. You said it's 100 percent on Rotten. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, 100% is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and it <laughs> it also was in Entertainment Weekly's must-see list, you know, the 10. Sure. The must, the sure. Ten, the must list. Now, now now that that Entertainment Weekly, they're going to keep that name even though it is only out once a month. Yeah, this whole that they're in trouble. Well, uh, any questions about the film? Uh, Lulu Wang is yeah. the uh, she is the author and director of this film and it's very well done. Yeah. No, I I, I wish I could have gotten to see it maybe uh, me too we'll, we'll I, I get caught up at the end of the year hopefully if they it's uh, a24 it's a24 so, so we will see it we'll, we'll, we'll get a chance to see it okay, if you have uh, any questions I can answer them all for you now um I don't have any I, it sounds did delightful. I ex- did I explain it yes. correctly? you, 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 <laughs> you know you it covered sounds, everything I like Aquafina I think uh, she's a real talent and so I was curious about this but yeah it sounds like one of those heartwarming movies you know who, I mean if you're not if a Tarantino you fan and you don't mind and Especially, you know who'd like this film? Quentin Tarantino, because sure. he's not afraid no. to do things in subtitles. I'd say uh, if, you, if you love movies, you can love all kinds of movies. Exactly. Uh, any good movie is good. So. I, I, I would like to dissuade people having fear of subtitles. No. Because once mm-hmm. you get used to it, it's just... Yeah, it doesn't matter. Well, a no. lot, okay, so my daughter likes the manga. She yeah. likes subtitles rather than the dub, because mm-hmm. the dubs are different. But the thing with dubs... Here's the problem with subtitles. Sometimes you're paying attention to the subtitles mm-hmm. and you don't get to see the rest of the screen. Yeah. Once you're used to that, it goes away, but it right. it is a knack. Well, what they tell us in, in film school, and I'm glad I got to hear this like advice, and this, again, may have been a Roy Zurich advice. Um, Thanks, Roy. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a wild and crazy dude. Um, it was that, it, it, you know, subtitles, yes, that, that makes your eye work over time. Um, but if you must choose, choose to watch the picture uh, rather than... What they're saying. You prioritize the, the film, visual. The visual, the film itself, yeah, over uh, the subtitles. If you miss a few subtitles here and there, it's probably okay. You'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I will say the Tarantino film is too long. It it feels longer than 245. This movie is like an hour 40, and it feels longer, but in a good way. It's it's like an hour 40. It feels like it's two hours long. Sometimes less is more. Well, if you have a good relationship with a grandma, I think you'll identify if it's a grandma movie because, you know, everybody has good feelings. Oh, and grandma's grandmas. great. And, yeah. Grandma's great in this movie. And it's then, good. and then there is, it's since it's a real story, they they can't have turns and twists, but they do have something really cool near the end of the film, and it is really well done. I really liked the farewell. Well, good. I don't like watching dub because I don't like the 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 mouth. Thing. It, it can be unintentionally silly. Yeah, it just just drives me crazy. Well, especially if it's manga because they're not really 
you know, they're not really yeah. talking anyway. <laughs> I like the uh, well, you're reading. But I like the um, uh, Godzilla, old Godzilla movies dubbed uh, mm-hmm. because – you know, there's a certain charm to that. Well, that, Raymond that Burr comes, was <laughs> right, right. He was the only American. They put those yeah. in later. Yeah, I have to turn on the closed captioning now. Sometimes, every, 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 you know what? Sometimes when they're talking, or if they're uh, if they're really Irish brogue, you have to. Oh, the Irish brogue, like like um, what's the one? Wild Rose. Oh man, that Scottish. Uh, I just was like, but for the TV show Succession, because there's low talkers mm. and they're low talking because you know they're in confidence and they're having those discussions. And I'm like, I have to turn on closed captioning. Well, sometimes you know. It's well, just, I, I love I love the fact that closed captioning is like an option right away because if you miss a line or two, especially if you're watching like a mystery show, mm-hmm. you want to pick it up. Well, yeah, yeah you want to yeah. go you want to go back and see it. If you think about it, Tar- getting back to Tarantino, he has a little European flair to him regarding movies. You know, yeah, of course, yeah. Well, because he, he appreciated his, all his that. His company was called I, I don't know if it still is a band apart. And that's named after a Jean-Luc Godard movie called oh. A Band oh. Apart, a which band is apart. a band of outsiders, which is a great movie from the 1960s. And uh, you learn you something every day. Watch, watch a, ba- uh, a Band of Outsiders if you can, um, and it's it's you will see how this thing influenced Tarantino so much. There is so much there that you could be like, yep, yep, he watched this when he was impressionable. We're back to Tarantino. We I are know. back to Tarantino. Oh, we've, okay. we've already talked about it for all eight, eighty minutes. To, well, and then, yeah, and yeah. insufferable. And some um, people find him. Yeah. Well, let's go to the DVDs. Which well, I, got, I, I got a movie. What? Okay. Oh, what did you uh, see? I, I saw uh, Marianne and Leonard. Uh, oh, the uh, how'd you see that? A link. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. ask. I didn't Marianne ask and Leonard, him. words of love. It's a documentary about mm-hmm. Leonard Cohen and his relationship to this. Uh, his first muse, ostensibly, uh, Marianne I- I- Eilin? Eilin, I think is her name. And they lived uh, together for a time uh, before he was famous on uh, the island of Hydra and uh, his Greek isle, mm-hmm. which is like paradise. And it's so fantastic, apparently, that um, people uh, have uh, been known to go into tremendous, tremendous depressions when they have to leave Hydra um, because all they want to do is go back. Um, anyway, is it, is it talking heads or is it some footage? It's both. It's, okay. it's talking heads and vintage footage. And it's made by this filmmaker, Nick Broomfield, who made these other films like this Kurt and Courtney about. Yeah. Kurt, oh yeah. Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. And then, uh, Courtney Biggie, did not care for no Biggie and Tupac oh, uh, was another. He made those. He made those. And he, he makes a lot of he's other a stuff good, too. good documentary director. Yeah. He's a good documentary director. And you know, kind of like once upon a time in Hollywood, um, Marianne and Leonard, and I've got my review on the website of zekefilm.org, so you know you can read my review there. Um, th- this movie, I'm sitting there watching it, going, "Yeah, it's all right. I, this isn't exactly what I'm hoping for." And then something and, happened. And, and well, nothing happened so much as it just kind of sank in. You know, it, it settled over a, mm-hmm. a day or two. So, um, you know, it is a lot of home movie footage. Um, I mean, it's certainly no Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as far as, you know, something that's going to, I'm going to be remembering at the end of the year. Is I'm, there a story? Yeah. The story is, it's, you know, he, she, um, she is his lover and he is a struggling poet and writer and he writes a novel and everyone hates it and says it's aghast. And then, 
he, you know, Judy Collins lures him to performing live and he starts doing that. He becomes famous. And even before that, he was starting to leave her, mm. uh, leave Marianne. And he, uh, he, he gravitated away from her. He said he first, he was there for just, you know, most of the year and then the next year he was only there a few months out of the year and then he was there a few weeks out of the year oh and she's there the and whole time she's there yeah because she doesn't want to leave because it's guess. so beautiful it's so beautiful nobody wants to leave <laughs> so yeah I don't know, you know, Nick Broomfield has a strange way of narrating his documentaries he's this uh, British filmmaker who just kind of talks over everything and he reveals he interjects himself into this uh, only via mm. his voice mm-hmm. says he himself had a brief love affair with Marianne Oh, so okay. well, yeah. he's not a he's and, not a um. What do you say that he's not removed from the situation? No, he is not objective. But he here. doesn't. Um, so he's on her side. He is very much on her side in this movie. Co- Leonard Cohen doesn't get altogether trashed, mm-hmm. but you know. Yeah, he gets he gets dragged through some coals here. Uh-huh. Um, Marianne is like Margot Robbie in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sorry to bring that back up, um, but where she <laughs> she's is amused. this radiant, beautiful thing that no one can imagine. Manic pixie and, goddess. Yeah, and it's helped along by this you know beautifully filmed Super Eight footage of them on a, a boat floating around the island mm-hmm. that you know they just filmed when they were having fun. Uh, yeah, uh, Marianne and Leonard, Words of Love. Um, if you're a Leonard Cohen fan, you will want to see it. Um, I can't I can't say that this is worth running out and seeing in the theater. Um, it's I, no biggie in Tupac. I watched the link and, uh, yeah, I watched the link at, at, in, my, in the comfort of my own home and it is perfectly at home on your TV. Mm-hmm. It's that scale and scope of a movie um but uh do catch it uh, if you're so inclined because uh, if you're a fan of leonard cohen yeah and i think you might need to be a fan of leonard cohen this i don't know that this is a good starting place (laughs) you know hallelujah does come up even though that is so far past their relationship right um that's one of the but um, you have to do it's one of the gripes right it's one of the gripes with this movie that i heard if if i were a carpenter in in that period no i I don't think so but no he um yeah hallelujah is from 1984 right and it's it's much after the 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 time but you got to play this the hits. movie but it, it it gets shoehorned in really uh, because it's hallelujah yes and then it cuts ahead to his tour in like 2009 which i saw before he died uh, well, well yeah yes. he only died a couple and, years ago right right and he did this big farewell like global amazing tour mm-hmm. and it went you on went and that? on yes i did and it was fantastic how was he he, he was spry and prancing around the stage for three hours wow i was like this this 76 year old man is in far better shape than i am is marianne still alive they are both dead now okay um he she died shortly before him okay and there's a letter that is read that he wrote to her in the film about you know dear marianne i'm sorry i treated you i am a few steps behind you oh uh yeah i'll see you on the other side and it's nice uh, but apparently it's not the real version of the letter. Oh, um, oh. It's, it's, it's the, the edited It's version? the version that his estate came up with that was read on Fresh Air, I think, with Terry okay. Gross. But no, it's still a great piece. And uh, the gist of the real letter, you can look up and it's basically the same. But yeah, it's uh, anyway, it's it's uh, what I already say. It's worth checking out if you're a fan. Okay. If you're not a fan, there's some other Leonard Cohen documentaries you can start with that might be better to lead up to this one. Words of Love. 
All right. Battle Angel. Did you see Battle Angel? Yes, I did. I liked the that. James Cameron yeah. movie that was not a James Cameron movie. Exactly. I missed it, but it you guys have good. raved about it. It's so a, it's now on DVD. It's a Robert Rodriguez uh, directed film that has that is really zero, directed by James Cameron. <laughs> zero fingerprints of Robert Rodriguez as we know him on it. It's right. nothing like anything he's and, ever done. And the uh, Q&A that we saw at the screening is available on the Blu-ray and the uh, extra features, yeah. which is very telling. It is. Oh, so I should watch it. You should wa- Actually, I, you should watch the Q&A before you see the film. Okay. Maybe. Well, did we see it before or after? After. We saw it after? We saw it after. Okay. But but it clarified everything I'm sitting there thinking and Max was this sitting is there not. thinking. And we're all sitting there thinking that this is a James Cameron movie, not a Robert Rodriguez because movie. Because he was with it every step of the way, but now yeah. he's in Avatar and, world. And then he handed so he's it like, off. do this for me. And he did it exactly like he said. And I can't wait for a sequel. I hope it did well enough that they do I've Battle heard, Angel Akita. I've heard it did not do well enough to justify a sequel. Even worldwide? And that, that bums me out. I, that's what I'm because hearing. Because it, it leads up to something at the end. Just like mm-hmm. people people call me crazy for this, but I think the original Green Lantern with Ryan Reynolds was leading up to a much better sequel. Well, that's and not it, saying much. Well, no, but I'm from. Yeah. unfortunately it was crap, but their, their Sinestro right. sequel would have been a thousand times better what they were leading up to it was kind of like what actually uh, Nolan did with Batman Begins Batman Begins was fine but then you have Dark Knight right after it I think Green Lantern would have been like that and then the first one would have been appreciated more and this movie I enjoyed immensely and I couldn't wait for a sequel but I also think that since it doesn't have Cameron doing all the machinations since he's in Avatar world it's going to stall until he's out of it. There's probably plenty that Cameron wrote that could eke out a sequel. Um, and by the way, Battle Angel or Alita Battle Angel is the title is a far better movie than Green Lantern. Let's just yes, yes, get, no, no, I, I say, I say that. that out there. Well, who is Alita Battle Angel? It's based on a I comic. I don't remember her name. It's they they digitally. Alter her, her eyes. eyes to make them larger, and that was what you all you ever heard about. Is the movie was uh, uh, ramping up to its theatrical release last year? Um, that this actress's eyes were enhanced to make her look more uh, anime. She was, hmm. yeah, and, okay. and and they did, but that's that's not. You get used to that. You get used to that. That is not a problem. I was expecting. Oh boy, this is gonna be horrible to watch and it's not a problem at it all. wasn't it, it's yeah. well done the fight scenes are choreographed well the story is easy to follow and which sometimes in these they are not and it's oh. not just her eyes that are digitally uh, uh enhanced it's like she's a china doll the whole actress is not even i think they the motion capture is animated right yeah motion capture performance right because she is a fighting robot and then there's this whole game and it's based on an anime, if you can imagine it that. It goes on and on and on and on. A it, comic series, a manga series that went on for a long time. A long time. Yeah. And my and my daughter read the first ten pages while we were waiting to see this and she's like, Yeah, this is not how it they yeah, they went very far off. Of the, they, well, they of kind of sanitized Christoph Waltz's character. A lot. Yeah, because is, he was I like, think it was your daughter that was telling us this. Yes. Going, this is not this is this is a lot darker over here. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Rosa Salazar was the actress. That's right. 
Okay. She's and Christoph, Christoph, speaking of, of, uh, Tarantino, of Tarantino, Christoph Waltz and Jennifer Connelly's in this movie. And oh, Mahershala Ma- 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 Ali. Ali's in this oh. movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And okay. Man, so many things are coming back to me about this. Uh, now that I saw the cast list, it's usually it's the cast list. It's it's a visual medium, folks. That's why we don't take notes on this thing. <laughs> I dug it. Well, it was um, good. And the, speaking of another cartoon or comic character, Hellboy. Uh, the remake. Yeah, the remake. No, is, not Ron Perlman. No. No, it was uh, not Ron Perlman. Not screened for critics. It's it was like it. Yeah. Yeah. Was it David Harbour? Yeah. Yes. It From was. Stranger Things. It was. So that's now in the red box. And so. who's going to be in uh, Black Widow? Yeah. Cool. And he's going to be. He's got another thing. Um, one of the is he on Netflix and another movie? Yeah, it's a. Uh, Frankenstein's monster, Frankenstein. It, it's it's. A, oh dear God! Yeah, I'm so tired of these remakes of these Frankenstein. No, no, it's it's not. It's it's how I, I feed my teenage Frankenstein. Yes, okay. monsters, Frankenstein's <laughs> monsters, Frankenstein. Right. Okay, because that last one, the James McAvoy. And no, it's Daniel not. It's not like that. Oh, I don't. And I think it's only like an hour long. Victor, oh lord, um, that what, was horrible. What else is out? Just, young okay, lady. so yeah, Missing good. Link oh. for the kids. It's the animated one it's with the Hugh Jackman. It's and the Leica. It's like... Yeah, uh, it's the people that make Coraline. Yeah. Oh. It's and missing that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, that looked weird. It is weird. It's lower tier. Like, I want them to do well. I love Kubo. I love Coraline. I yeah. love Paranorman. I right? do too. But this is up... It's it's above box trolls. Box trolls is your very bottom. Okay. This is middling, and I huh. really want this company to do well. Me too. And I want them to continue to make movies, but I want them to make more like Paranorman <laughs> and less like box trolls. This is right in the middle. Uh, I mean, not everyone can be. It's not as beautiful. I, I the Kuba trouble was beautiful. The trouble with Leica, the they had the stop motion animation studio here, and I believe it's. You know, bankrolled by the Nike Air, yes. isn't that right? It's uh, Phil so, Knight's son. Yeah, he gets to just throw money at this because he can, um, and and uh, yeah, the Kubo, all these movies you listed, they're macabre, darkly tinged movies that kids, you know, parents are skittish to take their kids to, and, and kids are a little skittish was about it sometimes. Monster House was that them too? Mm, no, 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 so. no, 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 no. I don't think so. But yeah, that the they make these films that are just dark and i think they're kind of stuck in this place of like we're doing macabre but macabre for kids so we can't really go full either direction and we're kind of stuck in this kind of neutral zone of dark but not that dark right and and i'm starting to feel that with their work corpse bride was the other one Mm. oh yeah tim burton well they they did i think they were contracted for that yeah that's what i thought they were contracted for that and they, um, they were also Henry... contracted to do uh, – this just came back to me. They, they were contracted to do the stuff from Harold and Kumar, the 3D sequence in uh, the Harold and Kumar movies. There's a dream sequence where it's stop motion. That is Leica also. Cool. Okay. Yes. Uh, no, Phil Knight. Yeah. Phil Knight. Phil Knight. That sounds right. Yeah. If you ever seen that movie with, uh, and with Bill, Cr- Bill Billy Crudup without limits, where he plays Steve Prefontaine, mm-hmm. uh, they have the the Nike guy Trap, uh, you know, coming Phil up Knight with and them. Travis Knight. Travis Knight is the son of Phil, and this is Travis's. And but they they make all their movies for okay. like two and a half million or 
maybe it's five. Yeah, it's it's they're they're very efficiently done. Mm. The Nike house was used in the Twilight movies for the Cullen family home. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Really quickly, paint your wagon. Lynn and I are going to see that tonight, and we don't know if it's going to be based on the movie or if it's going to be based on the original play or if it's Learner going to be and the... Low, 1951. Yeah, but it they whitewashed the movie. <laughs> yeah. The play, the uh, Clint Eastwood character was a Mexican, and they whitewashed that for the movie, and I don't know if they're going to be doing that. I think they have a Latino. Okay. Well, so, mm-hmm. so they're going back to the original. Mm-hmm. But you also have the uh, whores in the movie in Act 2. So I don't – and they cleaned that up for the movie as well. Because if you want Lee Marvin and uh, Clint Eastwood singing, go see Paint Your Wagon. Yeah, this is going to be, uh, you know, it's based on the gold rush. It's one of those old 50s chestnuts. Bring in the horse. Hardly anybody does uh, it anymore, but they've read the But they the read book. the book, and, mm-hmm. I, and my, what, what my wife said is, how are they going to, Mike Isaacson, diversify this? Yeah. Because it was very diverse when it started and then they cleaned it up and i'm guessing they're going back to the diverse we will know tonight they usually have a one opening on a saturday um and the couple years ago it was unsinkable molly brown which was again from that era Mm -hmm. and uh, they actually did it pretty well uh it doesn't have any names in it they're footloose that just closed they broke records they broke records monday night and highest crowd well, because it was since, 80 degrees rather than 110. The highest, right, highest, highest crowd, crowd since, <laughs> since, uh, since, <laughs> well, since, uh, since 2011. They had more than 10,000 people. Yeah, more than okay. Two 10, nights 000. in a row. And then, and then Tuesday night even topped that. But yeah, Footloose was so cheesy, and we talked about this. But people love it. People love that Let's 80s hear it music. For the boy. And so, yeah, they had more than 10,000 people there both nights. Nostalgia. Yes. Yeah, nostalgia, that, that walk through the 80s. You can't uh, beat it. Okay, so the latest movie news is Lion King made $191.8 million. Great. <laughs> Are we surprised? Yes. Well, no, I'm not surprised. Uh, it's, a, it's a little more than I would have guessed, but I thought it was going to do well. I yeah. knew it was going to do well, but I... But Stick Lion the... King well? But no. Yeah, yeah, it's the number one animated film of all time. And that's now this could... not... Well, it is... The... That's not... Uh... It's the number one hand-drawn... Not... Oh, oh, the original. Yes, yeah. 90... oh, right. in 94. It's the Thank number you. one okay. animated okay. film of all time. And it's the highest grossing musical of all time around the world mm. uh, for that, you know, the, right. the 98 um, Broadway musical. Uh, they... Um... Skyview, I passed her the other day when you and? were saying it was Lion King and Spider-Man. Spider-Man and Lion, and Lion King, King and, and Toy, Toy Story 4. Those are the Did I lineups. did I guess that right? Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Cuz I knew I knew they were showing Lion King on both screens and I knew Toy Story 4 was one of them but then the other one yeah. was it was Spider-Man. So, yeah, I passed it and I thought of you cuz uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so next week is going to be Hobbs and Shaw. Danny's going to be back to talk Hobbs and Shaw. And uh, it's the... Starring his buddy. It's called Fast and Furious Presents. So it is not number nine, and it does not count. So when Max Boise and I made a bet Mm -hmm. three years ago that we would not Mm -hmm. see a Fast and Furious movie until they have made ten of them, Mm -hmm. there are still two to go. Yes. Mm -hmm. So this does not count. Yeah. Are you going to skip this? 
I'm not going. I'm not going to see any Fast I, I and Fury movie. See, I, that's, I, I think Max this would I, be a good place to jump in. Max and I argued about this. I said, uh, well, can we see this? And he said, yes. Not in, no, I said yes. He said oh. no. And the show, the name of the show is Max on Movies. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to uh, split from the host. Well, I've only seen uh, as since 2000. Eight when I've been in the film critics group, that's when I started watching the Fast and Furious. So I've have seen you a seen couple of the? This is the ninth couple, one. I know, but I've only seen on in the theater what four, three, four, and then uh, I hear I've that seen a couple. Five on, is the best. It is. Yeah, Fast I've five. seen a couple. I've, I've only seen five, six, seven, and eight. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I started with five. The one where uh, <laughs> it's the fine. Good, the good one. <laughs> the Walker, yeah. where uh, the one with Walker. Um, That's seven, I think. Oh God, made me see. Cry. I, I, I and I know this cry. all yeah, through seven. osmosis. Yeah. You say, Four is bad. We've, I've seen. I've seen Tokyo Adrift. Whatever. No, that that's was. three. Oh God. You know, bad. even though it has fast in the title, you guys, you have to remember some things take time, and this is a franchise that took five movies for it to find its footing. Really? You're so right. yes. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, it takes, that's what that's, I'm told. It also takes place out of time too, because three yeah. takes place before six. And I, I, I didn't know I about know. that. I, I, I haven't seen. And three. it didn't matter. Well, it's no, all it about really being family. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, I will. I will tell you the good points. It's a, a, a monkey at a typewriter could have written the script. Okay. Yep. But all but, of them, but, all of them, really, seriously, all of them. The, but, and then you got Vin Diesel going, we are, we are family. And, and then, But Vin you, Diesel and Dwayne Johnson don't get along. Right. Ooh. So that, And then they brought Michelle Rodriguez back from the dead. The, Spoiler alert. Yeah. And then, uh, but they can't do Paul Walker. But they got, um, they, they, they like, can't bring like Vin Diesel and, and Dwayne Johnson got into like a Twitter war while yes. they were making a Fast and Furious yes. movie or something. Eight. And yes. Oh do they have scenes together in eight? Uh, or do well, they just keep Rock, on separating? Rock is no, not part no. of the gang. He's FBI. No, no. He's with them in eight. He, oh. He's with the gang and Vin Diesel is turned evil. Oh but, yeah, but I not really. Mean, but not oh, really. See, seriously, he's, 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 he's undercover. He's had that to betray one, the. Yeah, but they, now the one where they had the the cars drop with balloons, and then they went through that one building and crashed into yeah. the other building. I was like, that was I'm eight. done. I think oh, that, I was like, yeah. oh, now let's just get it over yeah, with and do just, Fast and Furious in space. Seriously, it's <laughs> just that's where we're headed. It's That'll so re- it's yeah. so ridiculous. But I will say that Ludacris. And uh, Tyrese. Tyrese are hilarious together. I enjoy them. Luda. I enjoy them. When they brought on Sharon Stone. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, not Sharon Stone. Uh, Charlize Theron as the villain in the last She's going to be in the she next. She's going to be in nine along with Helen Mirren. Oh, God. And then. Uh, <laughs> And then Michael Douglas, or was it Kurt Russell? I don't know. One of those guys. Kurt is Russell in the is in room. these. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why. But he looks like Michael. <laughs> he's there, <laughs> though. The, yeah. He, yeah. They're the, the, the government agency higher ups. I'm sorry. I'm having flashbacks. That's okay. But the first, no, seriously, the one where they like, the, they're in Dubai and they go from one building on on the cars didn't and Tom go Cru- into the another way. Didn't yeah. the Mission Impossible do the same thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was just like, well, it's, a, it's a different stunt, but it's the same city and the same oh. scale and the same building craziness, but, probably. But they're in a plane with the cars yeah. and they drop the no, cars I saw, I saw and the that cars scene. fly. Oh. I mean, See, seriously, I don't it's think like, I've missed anything out of these eight films. Flying cars, man. 
It's the monkeys. <laughs> it's, typewriter. Typewriter. it's so crazy, but but it'll be fun because Danny loves Buffa is like a kid in a candy but store. But he loves his best friend Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he keeps Jeez. tweeting the Rock now, trying to get a response because he got that but, one but response. But no, he got a response last week. Yeah, he got a response from him last week he about did. about this movie. Oh, he did. He says the Lou is ready for the Rock. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah. retweeted him, uh-huh. and they. They will meet. Yeah. Oh, you know it. You know it. That's be his the biggest romance dream. ever. Yeah. It's gonna be a well, big. He needs to have his buddy hug. Frank Grillo hook yeah. them up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you All never right. know. He got to see Samuel L. Jackson. Okay. So they're re. I can't even believe this is gonna be greenlit as a as a sequel because we all hated it so much. But Venom Two is now greenlit. It made. Eight hundred and fifty-five million dollars, and it probably I think had that's the worst. Worldwide. Yeah, worldwide, and it probably had the worst reviews of any superhero movie outside of Fantastic Four. I never Four. saw it. Oh. Neither. Didn't oh. bother. It was so bad. I, I know people that like it though. In fact, I couldn't get anyone from Zeke Film to go that night. So a guy like one of a our main re- our main reviewers, Sharon Ottenreath. Her husband is a comic book fan. He's a great guy, but he'd never written a thing for us, um, Kevin. So he went and 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 attempted to write a review. And you helped him out with it. I did help him out, but uh, uh, his review is on the site for you know. But uh, uh, he enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. He's not a film critic per se. He's just just a guy who likes he's, comics he's, and and he he had fun with the them. mass unwashed. Correct. Those Except are the people quite, that went. He's, he's quite he's quite tidy. <laughs> no, but I'm saying. Yes. He's he's just one yeah, of the common yeah. people like us. Exactly. Well, not yeah. like us. No. But, well, <laughs> um, well he's common folk. He's when he goes to movies, yeah. there are previews and ads. He's, right. he's, when he's, we go to previews, there are not previews. He, no, well, he we don't get those. I know. Well, somebody but asked me the other day when we went to Tarantino. And he said, "Hey, uh, can I show up twenty minutes late and still see the movie?" I'm like, "No." He's like, "But what about all the?" Nope. Just get there on time. Oh, yeah. Well, this one, we had to be strict. I thought they would take away our phones, but they didn't. They yeah. didn't. But, well, um, because it was a room of just critics. Right. So they knew right. that we know what we're doing. Right. Well, <laughs> I saw uh, with my high school. <laughs> that made Jim laugh. Well, yeah. with, my, with my high school friends, I went to see a screening of, at the second run of place Sinclair 10 I went to see Rocket Man because, you know, Elton John was part of the soundtrack of our lives. Mm-hmm. But you'd already seen it. I know I was the only one that I but you, you know I wanted I would, to hang with my high school girlfriend. You thought I would hate it, and, and I didn't so, hate it. And so I because um, it's a went musical. to went to meet them, and they all loved it. We had to sing when I was a, a junior in high school. We learned your song, and we sang it to the seniors at the year end. On so yeah, we were an all girls school. What's wrong with we you? were an all girls school. This was 1971. Wasn't that about his dad? Your song? Yeah. We ch- the nuns made us change lyrics. Okay. We, we had a, a saying, you are the greatest class we've ever seen, and we hated these kids. But we sang it, and everybody cried, because it's a girls' school. Uh-huh. And so we all had to sing, uh, we all had to learn your song. But anyway, your song was, I mean, Elton John was the soundtrack to my college years and stuff. So I went, and you they all loved it. Crap. But 
one of the best things was sitting there beforehand. I saw like four previews, previews. that you hadn't I seen was already. Like, no, Ford versus Ferrari with Tracy Letts as Lee Iacocca and Matt Damon with Christian Bale. That looks so fabulous. And then a bunch of bring it superhero ripoff science fi the world's saving the world stuff. I can't even remember the titles, huh? but it science was fi, man. fun. <laughs> yeah, I love science fi. <laughs> but it was fun to yes. sit and watch previews. It was. And then my classmates, who are now all, you so, know, they were all like... Women of a certain age? Yeah, women of a certain mm. age. They were all like, um, uh, that looks really good. That looks really good. And you're like, and, no, and, it's going to suck. No, 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 no. So that was... When, and I, I, you know, <laughs> I've I was, seen it already. I was going to suggest <laughs> yeah. that we... Uh, yeah, start no. seeing trailers. No, we should see. We, we should have seen yesterday because the Beatles we, were a bigger part. I of I did our see lives. yesterday. I know that's a great is, movie. I liked it. I know. Okay. So getting back to Venom. So um, oh, really? Tom Hardy. Really? Why? Okay. Tom Hardy. Why are you spending back? more time on this? Yes. No. I yeah. just want to say. I just want to say it's going to be out October 2020. I feel like I'm being held prisoner. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes. But <laughs> but they're looking for a director because Ruben Fleischer is doing Zombieland two right okay. now. Yes. Zombieland two. Double tap. Yes. Have you seen that? I love Zombieland. I don't know. I've I never too. seen Zombieland. <gasps> oh, it's good. But I think I've been spoiled by it already because I know everything. And uh, I just watch it. Okay. Do you know the cameo? Yes. Oh, that's well. that's what I've been spoiled by. That I, And I'm like, well, do I need to see it now? That's one of the best cameos. But the funny time. thing is, it's, it's still funny. the trailer says Oscar nominee, Oscar nominee, Academy mm. Award winner, and yeah. then, the, then the fourth girl. <laughs> and, and And a random person. Who's the winner? Unwashed man. Emma Stone. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I forgot. So they all came back. And I guess, I don't know if the cameo is coming back because I don't know what happens in the cameo because I haven't seen the movie. It's a good movie. I know. I just have never seen it. It'll never make you want, even if you liked Twinkies, you will never want to eat a Twinkie. Oh, those those pink things. Those are uh, snowballs. Snowballs. But Woody has a thing for Twinkies. Okay. Like, uh, Like in Die Hard? Oh no, that's the joke. He wants Twinkies, and, yeah. and they can only get snowballs. And he, he, yeah, and he comes upon a that yeah because snowballs are left. A crashed hostess <laughs> truck, and all it's in it is those pink Cause, snowball cause things. You know, it's like no snowballs are yeah. coconut. And they're yeah. terrible. Yes, they're, they're, they're terrible. awful. Right. My friend John gave one when we met Regis Philbin during his when he he taped his show in St. Louis. Oh, the Regis 1972. Show. This um, I danced. <laughs> I was a much what? more you know when I was seventeen. Um, so there was a bunch of us. We got asked to come on the Regis show because he was having uh, Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne Hickman. the Rock Johnson was no <laughs> Dwayne. He, he wasn't born yet. Uh, Dobie Gillis. Oh, and Hans Hall from. The the Powery Boys movies, and it was all about nostalgia. And uh, we danced yeah, to Rock and Robin, um, Michael, the, the Jackson. Michael Jackson version. So, yeah, so I want that tape so bad. I have even tried to Look investigate. Up on the no, it's not. It's Camo V. They had those Regis Philbin show tapings. If only I you knew tw- somebody that worked at Camo V. <laughs> you do. You do know people that work at Camo V. Do you think the tapes are still there? Um, I've tried to find out. Mm-hmm. I would think that they would have the Regis Philbin tapes. You know but what? Just to see this the would be a good article that... for you to write. Yeah, I know. and then that you would guilt them into giving it or looking it for you. Seeing mm-hmm. the seventeen-year-old me dancing on the Regis. Actually, Philbin I would show. like to see that. <laughs> we need this. All right, next week, Danny's back with Hobbs and Shaw. My what were you is... going to say before I, re- I went back to Venom Two? I'm sorry. He was going to say goodbye. Oh, because we've well, been talking yeah. for almost two hours. Yeah, now. well. 
I don't have anything to add. To Jim, this tell them where they can find you. Zekefilm.org and uh, ScreenAnarchy.com. But uh, uh, Zekefilm.org is mine, so let's give that one the clicks. Yes. My name is Carl the Intern Middleman. You can hear me on FM News Talk 97.1, Monday through Friday, and then Saturdays on the Big 550 KTRS. You can find me online at underscore Carl the Intern on Twitter and Instagram. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean about... <laughs> whoopie doo No, about what 97. No, no, no. Whatever. Point one, I'm glad that you're more visible now. Uh-huh. That wasn't last week. Okay, no, so no. I, of the of the multi-jobs, uh, um, I can be found writing button movies on... And theater. And, and well... Just movies for timesnewspapers.com, which is West End Word, Webster, uh, Webster Kirkwood Times, and South County Times, and, and the occasional feature. I just did Mary Englebright. Ma- Mary Englebright, West End Word. Sorry. And then and then uh, I am in the Belleville News Democrat News and Features. I am St. Louis Magazine uh, chief uh, theater writer and really? reviewer. Yeah, it's a website. STLLimelight.com. Oh, don't, don't and short. and then I Good am, for you. <laughs> and then I am on KTRS. Every Thursday uh, night. Usually. Well, except when you're uh, preempted by the Memphis Redbirds. And oh. so I was on last night. Ray and Jay, St. Louis in the know. All so right. we're we're around and we're in all the socials. Yeah, we are. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, uh, yeah, thank you. Just say goodbye. Bye. Bye.